Hello and welcome to Too Rash, Too Unadvised, the will to babble on will to battle. My name is Liam Nolan. My name is Wero Kariuki. And I am Nicholas, also known as Rarefied Air. And today we're discussing chapters... Eight and nine? Eight and nine. And today we're discussing chapters eight and nine. If you want to ask us any questions or be on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at 2rash2unadvised at gmail.com. That's 2 is in the number 2, and I checked that email, so no spoilers, please. I'll support us, and more importantly, our editor on Patreon. With that out of the way, and many thanks to our lord and savior, Seth. An immortal tyrant, while of course, kill. Well, for the record, I've listened to every podcast. I just listened to the chapter seven. Given that uh, it ends on such a cliffhanger, I felt it was necessary to quickly listen to that to make sure I knew what everyone said. We don't end on the cliffhanger. We're ending on a long discussion about the morality of madams. Well, just the actual chapter. Yeah, I'm. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I've spent the past two weeks after that conversation. Desperately trying to find a way to make Madame be the good guy. <laughs> and I can't, I cannot seem to do it. Um, I'm, I am crushed to say that I think possibly the philosophy brothel are not the heroes of this story. That is a very hot take. I really wanted them to be. Because they were introduced, you know, as the answer to all of my problems with the world. That's not how they're introduced uh, immediately as being, like, a problem with the how the, the people in the world view morality and law. Uh, to some degree, they were fine from our perspective, right? Because we don't care about people talking about religion. But they also immediately, yeah. like, tried to trap Thisbe and Carlisle and took away Carlisle's tracker... Uh, and then Mycroft was like, you can't sail alone in the room with any of them. Yeah, that's true. But but they were like our anti-senseiers in a time when I thought that was a very important force for this world to have. Mm-hmm. I think... But, but Madame is probably... I'm going to go with ethically compromised. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great political way to say it. Uh, do you Are you on Madame's payroll, by chance? <laughs> You could have very easily talked me into being on Madame's payroll. Uh, there have been large chunks of this podcast where I just assumed they were... In fact, in retrospect, I think I said at one point, like, you know, I'm getting worried that all of our heroes from this book are going to turn out to be villains in the next book. Yeah. And someone said to me, well, they've been the villains this whole time. <laughs> and yeah, I guess... It's still disappointing. What I think's happening here is that you get invested into characters that are interesting. And when the when Madame was first um, shown to the to us as the reader, she's contrasted with all the other characters in a, in a very interesting way. And I don't know, maybe you've just stuck with that, and you say, you know what, I like this character. I I don't care all of the bad things this character is doing. I'm I'm rooting for her to win because it's like the the I, the element of chaos mm-hmm. in the books. 
Yeah. So it's your first episode on the podcast. What do you want to yell about? I had many things to yell about, uh, but the last two podcasts have given me so much more to think about, and I think I'm going to focus on vote on them in particular. Um, I wanted to make one comment about the Black Laws, and there was some discussion about whether or not they enumerate any sort of rights, and um, I thought that was the wrong way to think about it. Um, just because they're laws doesn't yeah. make them not, and in some sense, enumeration of rights. It's just that they're not mm. positive rights. They're negative rights in the sense of like the right to life is not so much an actual right to life, meaning giving you all the things you need to be alive. It's a, it's a, it's a right not to be killed, if that makes sense. And so if you think about the black laws as all negative rights, they are, in fact, rights. They're not rights as maybe some people conceive of them, but they are a form of rights. Do you mean um, positive rights? No, he means... No, no, he means think of the black laws as negative rights. There are no positive rights. <laughs> right, a liberal... You can't just <laughs> assert that! Well, first of all, yes, I can. But second, uh, I, I mean, I, I think the reading that you're putting forth here is that they are specifically negative and not positive rights. Yes, yes. Because none of them are positive rights. Like, look at what the laws are. I don't, I don't think they enumerate rights. Um, uh, and specifically, specifically for Fidesz arguing it's my position, as opposed to everyone else's position, which is what they were rights. Uh, but, no, I think the third to fifth maybe, but most of, that, most of them end up being restrictions on human behavior and not restrictions on government action, which is, I think, the distinction. Which is, I think, what makes it like not well, a no. Because if we're doing if we're doing positive and negative rights, we're doing proper natural rights, which are not necessarily just restrictions on government behavior. In fact, I wouldn't even say they're primarily restrictions on government behavior. Well, the right to life in general, as many constitutions tend to enumerate, it's not exactly a positive right. It's not the government saying, "I'm going to provide you food and shelter and all of the things that." one would need to live it's generally speaking it's just saying we're going to go out of our way to like stop people from trying to kill you we're going to make a law that says if you kill someone unjustly we'll we'll imprison you for it we'll we'll, we'll put some kind of um negative association with that and it'll convince people not to kill you so well i would consider that a on. negative right in, in most cases that mm, i no i disagree that's not really what a what a negative right is um like, it's not we're just going to half-heartedly try to protect it. A negative right is specifically something that we don't necessarily need to provide, but we aren't, but we can't stop you from going out and getting yourself. So I think that, like, the classic example now for negative rights is, like, a driver's license. You have a negative right to a driver's license in that you are not, like, automatically guaranteed one by society. Society doesn't give it to you. But you can't go and stop people from passing the required test in a reasonable manner and getting a driver's license. So that's sort of your, your positive-negative right distinction, is what is society obligated to actively provide, and what is society obligated to um, ensure you are not stopped from procuring for yourself. Worse, actually, now that I'm, I have my soapbox for a minute here, <laughs> the... Like, the example of positive rights that I always got when I was talking about this, when I was doing ethics, is that, well, there must be a, a positive right to marriage. 
um, because we need to like give you a ma- and that's <laughs> that's the worst example you, have you to could provide you a marriage choose. partner. <laughs> well, exactly, and they never mean it like that. Once you call them out, they're like, "Well, no, but the government, you know, can't they? They need to do something to no. It's ridiculous. Marriage is not a positive right. Marriage should never be a positive right." And frankly, I take less seriously anyone who claims that it is. The side thinks marriage should be, well, some properties of marriage should be a positive right. I don't think Desaad thinks anything should be a positive right. No, he's put. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's the worst part uh, of Desaad. I'll have this argument. I, I think you're wrong. Um, who is it that's obligated to give it to you? The state. The state isn't obligated to do fucking anything. No, it is. It's possible to do exactly one thing, and that is to provide sexual partners on demand for anyone who wants them. Oh boy, was that in there? That was in there. That doesn't fit very cleanly into his otherwise it surprisingly reasonable moral philosophy. It doesn't, and that's why it's so just bonkers, and why is that there? And it's specifically in the part that probably isn't a satire. Okay. Um, for more Desaad talk, pay us. <laughs> nice plug. All right. What, what were your, do you want to keep talking about this rights stuff, or do you want to move on to something less? Um, well, maybe one other tangential comment about the fifth law. Um, I remember you going on a pretty long um, spiel about how you didn't see the, the reason for um, having it at all. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, in the book we get a little bit of reference to artificial meat. and so. And you mentioned factory farms in particular, and I think it's pretty clear that those are no longer necessary to provide uh, food for the world. Um, There is really no Mm -hmm. legitimate reason to kill an animal, um, and you know, maybe for sport or something. But uh, I think that the fifth law probably comes from an expansion of the like moral consideration as you know, animals being not necessarily persons, but creatures that can suffer and therefore why would why would we allow the suffering of animals if it's not necessary and so i thought of a couple examples you know maybe driving around in in these flying cars you might hit a a bird every once in a while and that's necessary because the transportation system is is something that the world needs but going around just killing animals you know for no reason is something that is no longer tolerable under their conception of a universal law because they include animal suffering in that calculation. Um, so one thing I should be really clear about. <clears throat> just because I don't think something should be one of the black laws doesn't mean I strictly support people doing that thing. Well, that's not what you said last episode, but okay. But if you don't make it a black uh, law, then the black laws can do it. And the idea is that we don't want any human being doing this. It's We think it's so bad that like it shouldn't be permissible at all and well animals can't consent to being murdered and you know just for fun so the idea being that uh you know the, the universal laws are covering them yeah. as not people necessarily but as agents that are will worthy of consideration in some sense so that's that's sort of where i was where i was hoping to go with that is um i think the black laws should have things i am personally uncomfortable with not included in them is the if that makes sense. Like, am I am I phrasing that in a way that's relatively clear? Uh, I still don't think there's any reason we should include animal suffering on that, right? Because the, the, the distinction to be a black law is that 
It is so intolerable. Society cannot exist if it's happening. That's not and true. And all the other ones, I can see a case for that being made. That's not true. It's um. I thought that was their whole. It's not just not exist. It's it's um. There's some extra condition uh, because the black laws, like, what is it? The first law, second law, the third law. And the fourth law, first through fourth laws are just regularly violated all the time in our society. And the real society. They're regularly violated throughout history and they still we still exist. So there's some extra condition. Um, here yeah. it is. It just seems to me that you're using personhood as a kind of um, criteria to determine whether something's uh, worthy of being a black law. And I just think that the conceptions that they have of black laws are including non-persons as, you know, worthy of consideration. They have nature in here, though nature may arguably be only in there because human beings can't exist in a world that is, you know, that where nature is not taken into consideration. So it may just be that the only reason you can, you know, you can't destroy the, the planet is because it will negatively in fact impact people and non-person animals. Uh, but yeah, so okay, but no, nope, the, the line is, that I care about. Uh, so because it lies in the power of a human being to inflict such damage upon the human race as to compromise its future, to inflict such damage upon nature as to endanger all present and future life, to inflict such damage upon the purpose of civilization as to undo life labors of past and present generations, and to in- commit such intolerable crimes which so outrage the common conscience of humankind they cannot be suffered. I think it's clear that the fifth law isn't under the rubric of the first four reasons, but under the rubric of the last. No, no, I, I disagree, because I, I want to cite a different section. Um, it's the one where they're explaining why we need the Black Laws, and it says, <clears throat> Therefore, the Human Assembly, embodying the Senate of the Universal Free Alliance, assembled in accordance with the Carlyle Compromise, proclaims this list of universal laws, which represents the extreme minimum of restrictions, which reason and experience prove necessary for the continued welfare of the human race. All human beings are equally subject to these universal laws, and all authorities established by the human species for its governance and protection are equally empowered to enforce them upon those who have chosen to subject themselves to said authorities. This is clearly laying out that these are there not just for the protection of, like, things we think are cute. This is for the protection of specifically humanity. And I would argue that experience, in fact, shows that factory farming totally coherent with the continuing existence of humanity. Yeah, you're reading welfare narrowly there, uh, and it's clear from the text I read that they read welfare more broadly, that something that is morally intolerable uh, to the the common conscience of humankind is negative to their welfare. Am I misremembering? Wasn't there some line in the the book, one of the books that included other non-human animals as persons, or you know, maybe tangential. Yeah, no, persons. it's the yeah, one. but not yes, but also no. Well, uh, high-functioning non-human animals and artificial intelligences. So this, so not cows, right? They counted as people, though, and and I guess cows would be, you know, a being that can can well, experience pain. They count as minors, right? Well, I don't know why it... Yes, they count as people. They count as minors. So we already know that kind even, of though, even though the Black Laws enumerate, you know, they explicitly say for human beings, we do know that um, this society 
does in fact consider non-humans as people. So it's already kind of muddying the waters yeah. there uh, as far as who's actually counted. I disagree. I think that's clearly included for aliens okay, and artificial intelligences. Well, the comment about the factory farms, I would just reply by saying that they're no longer necessary as we have uh, perfectly, you know, good ways of making meat that no longer require the killing of animals. And so I think this book up, book is set up to to be a society that no longer needs to harm animals. And so they've changed their yeah. perspective on and they've included the suffering of animals in their calcul their moral calculations, kind of in a Peter Singer utilitarian sort of sense. Um maybe not quite maybe as not far to... as Peter Singer, but Yeah, not to go quite as quite as far as that. I think typically <laughs> Whenever there's like an expose about like the typical workings of factory farm, people get up in arms. Um, and in a world where they don't need factory farms, I think it's very easy to convince most people that this is in fact something that should not happen and should never happen. And I think that's where the unnecessary part of the law is really, you know, making making it clear that you know this if the society were to devolve into a, in a situation where they no longer have food then you will be more than willing you'll be more than allowed to go and hunt an animal to kill them it's just that in a society where food is not scarce and you know you have real no real reason to ever do that then it would be a crime to do it hang on i don't disagree that this society doesn't need factory farming anymore um i agree they they do not i'm saying that factory farming is so bad and they have such little need for it that uh its existence would, uh, what is it, Out, uh, outrage the common consciousness of humankind so that they cannot be suffered. Right, let's say, let's say Madame, in, addition, that line from? in addition to her brothel, she had a factory farm, like, right next door, where she was just, you know, murdering animals and giving you that, like, that real 18th century, you know, uh, you know, food experience or something. Like, a, if, without mm -hmm. that being the Blackwells, that would be totally fine and permissible in this society. She could, she could very easily do that. And, uh, you know... I think that would outrage a lot of people. Factory farms are so they they they're, they're pretty modern. True. She could have a regular farm, I guess. A regular farm is so much better than a factory farm. It's 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 very sad. Um. So the the outrage common conscious line is eighty two. Uh. Okay. Oh, you were way earlier than I was. How about? I mean, but we also get. As the object of these universal laws is the continuance of human civilization, not any judicial agenda of correction, retribution, or moral enforcement. So the spirit of these universal laws demands they be enforced minimally and generously, and with humanity, not abstract justice, as their final arbiter. Yeah. That sounds to me like it pretty clearly rules out your your care for animals. Uh, well, it, what it does is it rules out a care for animals based on the sort of... We talked about earlier about considering them as agents. We don't, actually. Uh, we consider them... As cute, and uh, if you kill cute people, people get mad, and that's what we want to prevent. Yes, if you kill cute people, people get mad. Also, animals. Well, that's where that's where you're losing me. And that's uh, it. Does you say I just things do not think this. This is not the minimal code that would allow society to exist, function, and flourish. The minimal code would not include the sixth law. I'm sorry, not the sixth law. Um, the fifth law. The sixth law makes sense. I, I, I get that one. Yeah, and then I guess the, there would be a lot of people who would say that the, uh, the seventh law, or no, sorry, the sixth law is the one that would be also not required. The one about 
being required to not interfere with uphold police, your contract. The police one. No, the police. That is the sixth. You don't like the sixth. I don't like the sixth. I get why people. I get why they. I think whether or not the sixth law is required is like a much harder question than whether or not the fifth law is required. I think the sixth law. I think this is like more like I don't know. Uh, so in the U.S. Constitution, um, I'm not talk about the Constitution. It's too long and too controversial. But the the U.S. Constitution <laughs> um, includes several pages where it tries to outline what Congress is allowed to do, and this is, I think, a similar sort of a deal. Um, which is also why several people have talked about uh, the eighth, the the Dentist law being a bad law, in some sort of w- talks about some sort of um, uh, it's a bad in the sense of like it's not. Specific, it doesn't define terms, etc., etc., etc. Well, these are all bad laws in that sense, and these aren't trying to do that. These are competencies, universal competencies for the alliance. Um, and so the eighth law, the the interest law, is trying to add a competency to the alliance. Which law? Which eighth law? The interest law. The nurture. Okay, sorry. Um, the original eighth law. No, not the original eighth law. Because the original eighth law is the black law eighth law. Mm-hmm. Well, I was under- but also oh, the first one the black- proposed was the nurturist one. Yes, uh, but the first one enacted was the Black Law Eighth Law yes. again, and everyone's calling this new thing the Eighth Law, despite it technically representing the ninth slot. Yes. So once again, this book refuses to call different things different names. Yeah, I always assumed that you know when they passed the the other Eighth Law, it was kind of a political gesture, like. We're gonna just erase the 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 eighth law the out of existence, and so when people say the eighth yes. law, they are no longer talking about the you know set set riots. They're not evoking all those sort of negative vibes from that century. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but the eighth law was already a thing. The black laws said. Yeah. So the, the but the, there's not that many black laws, right? There's like a couple. Yeah, a couple. There's plenty. There are 2%. plenty black laws. Two percent is many percent. Two percent of America, we found out, is in jail. <laughs> That's right. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, I'm just saying it's like a subculture thing, and so it makes sense that they're not that broader culture is not going to oh, also refer to the. Wait, it wasn't two percent. It uh, was like one percent. Yes. Sorry, uh, you said you just listened through the podcast. I did. How many servicers did I think there were? Was I right? Oh wow, that's a good question. Because you would have known. When I said it. I don't think... Actually, I don't remember what you exactly said, but I do remember you doing some kind of uh, calculations on a napkin type of deal, and I think you were kind of in the right ballpark, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was like 1 million with a plus or minus Because you're working with the 2% population of the U.S. Pop- prison population, I think it was, and, and kind of cal- like well, doing calculations based off of he, that. He did that. And then he said, "Oh, that's too many people." And then said, "Like said a million, yeah, uh, because it is a lot of people." Um, you also said that we used the wrong, like it was your number was all people who are in jail and also on parole. Um, if yes. you take just the jail number, it's like it just recently passed into one percent. Um, oh well, that's promising. Yeah, I mean, only one out of a hundred adults. That's you know, <laughs> things are looking up. You know, from one perspective, it seems You probably fine, need to cut that one. But I think there is um, a multicultural <laughs> people who would be, like, very unhappy to know that, like, in 2454, we still have prisons, and it's still as populated as, you know, as it is. 
No, we... I, I agree. I, I... I'm not happy with the presence in 2454. I think, um... Mara commented on, I think, everyone on the last pod, last episode uh, said it's disappointing we have presence 2454. Um, well, it kind of, they, they seem to have such immense surveillance capabilities that... It's true. <sighs> Absolutely. By the way, speaking of prisons, I'm going to drag us kicking and screaming into this chapter. <laughs> yeah, um, no, so what I was doing there, I, have, I know you loved the mm-hmm. chapter um, Lex Prohibit, um, and so I just wanted to sneak in and like an extra little discussion of it uh <laughs> oh yeah thumbs up <laughs> god that was a good chapter anyway um we find out and hopefully this will move us along far enough no i can't because we need to hit chapter seven fine so last two episodes ago maybe i uh we were getting some stuff about when ganymede came out of prison and mycroft was interacting with the prison raids i was pretty convinced that the prison raids were uh tormenting you beasts mm-hmm. which i don't know why would they be wh- where he saw them this time um so maybe i was i was shy of correct on that one because mm-hmm. he sees a bunch of prison wraiths in like a hospital bed yeah he starts seeing new things in this chapter as well um there's like a aura of like war i guess you could say around Tully marty like a manifestation mm-hmm. of like war like he calls it a vapor and all sorts of other descriptive things about it and so it seems clear to me that mycroft is hallucinating to some extent or i mean we already know he has these people in his head talking to him so now we have a whole list of people who are joining in chorus yeah. to nag him back to life and there's one mm-hmm. in particular including <laughs> the phrase nagging him back to one? life is just so good yeah I have two that I I have comments on. Mm-hmm. Who's yours? Shall I go first? Yeah. Mercer Morty's I thought was interesting. Remember what you hear here, Mycroft, it's important. So I have two mm-hmm. comments about it. Here, here is just a fun little, like, I think we've got three now in this book, three phrases that are like the same word twice. We have set, set. We have council, council. And now here, yeah. here. And I think this is an intentional thing by uh, Dr. Palmer, like wordplay, fun wordplay. But also just mm-hmm. what it says, like, what is what does it mean? Remember what you hear here, Mycroft, it's important. It sounds like of all of them, that one seems like something more plot relevant or something. I agree. That one did jump out at me. Because uh, I think it's the first line we've actually gotten from Mercer Marty, who comes up a bunch in this chapter. Mm-hmm. The other thing we get that I latched on to was Apollo tells him he still has ships to board. Um, and I think that must be what Mercer was talking about. I, I, cause by here, he clearly thinks that he's half dead, right? Nag me back to life. Mycroft thinks he's dead at this point. Um, so the most straightforward, So um... Apollo and ships to board is weird, right? Yes. Uh, cause we don't think about ships a lot. And with Apollo, you have to go sort of towards utopia so here's my pitch on this this must be part of apollo's war plan and the ships must be uh space ships so clearly mycroft's role coming up is going to be to sort of usher people off of earth who knows if that's probably to mars i guess hard to say and then 
since we know he was really concerned about the war to end all wars, but again, and for real this time, maybe the plan isn't for Earth to survive, right? Maybe by, would you sacrifice this world? They meant that way more literally than we thought, and in fact, the idea is to give up on Earth, go somewhere else, and then keep records of this last big war. And I guess make sure you get into fights more often going forward. Um, yeah. It, the, pl- the the Marty's plan and the Apollo plan is not a war to end all wars. It's a war, have a war now to make sure that the war when Mars is finished, um, has finished being uh, terraformed, isn't going to kill everyone. So I think this is a reference probably to the Iliad's uh, like linear notes or whatever, where it says like, don't kill Mycroft, you will need him like to complete my plan. And so mm-hmm. you, if you kind mm-hmm. of read this as a continuation of that, it may make more sense, or at least there's like context for it, but I still don't know yeah. quite exactly what it's supposed to mean. Oh, have you not read? How far into this have you read? I have read all the way through the third book. Oh, but not the fourth book. Correct. Well, I oh, actually started excellent. the fourth book, and then I realized very quickly that I was completely lost as far as the plot, and uh, I needed to reread the book. So this is when I discovered the podcast and have been reading along and listening along as I go. This is a pretty common uh, uh, thing that happened. Thing to me. have happened, yeah. It's been great for us. It has uh, been. We, I thought it was just the right time, too. It's a big backlog by the time people realize this. I will say that um, you, your discussions on this podcast really have shifted, I think, the perceptions of the characters in the book and just, like, I guess the... like. The way I feel about the progression of the book and like the which side I'm on type of thing is has all slightly shifted just from the the various like points that are being made here, which are things I would not have picked up on myself. If that makes sense. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, so you're seeing the light on how terrible Carlisle is. Uh, you know, yeah, in a little in a little bit of ways, I I tended to agree with you, like almost ninety percent of to like the lightning about how annoying Carlisle was and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, learned a few things about myself in the process, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, the, these books really backed me into a corner on that one. <laughs> I think it's very... Well, you didn't have to, right? You could have said that Carlisle is unique among senseis and, and cousins bad, but you decided to attribute the badness of Carlisle to both senseis and to, to cousins. I've since... I think I have since successfully sort of, uh, I don't want to say resolved, I've rehabilitated the Senseiers, um, in my mind. I'm still not a huge fan, a lot of the things they stand for seem dumb, but I don't blame the first law on them Mm -hmm. to the extent that I did before, and I don't blame them for Carlisle anymore. Mm -hmm. The cousins, though, they just keep making bad choices. (laughs) Okay, so Mycroft is stabbed, Mm -hmm. uh... We get this chorus of people telling him to do his job again. We get Apollo telling him he has ships to board. So yeah, fleeing the planet, big part of Apollo's plan. That's my pitch. And then we get Jehovah saying a bunch of words I do not recognize. Uh, one of them is stay. I knew that one. I looked them up. Stay is... They're all stay, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, various languages. Yeah. German, Spanish, yeah. French, and Greek are the first four. And I couldn't find the other two, but I, I'm assuming... They're all stay. Look them. I think one of them was Latin. It turned out. Uh, oh, and Japanese, probably. One may have been Arabic. When I threw it into the Google Translate, it came up back as Arabic, but I wasn't sure how 
accurate that was going to be. Arabic may have borrowed a word from Greek or Latin or something happened. I want to now talk about how Arabic forms words, but I can't now. Uh, let's let's move on. <laughs> okay, uh, let me get my notes back up. Uh, we we discover that Sniper had an operation. Uh, so Sniper is not literally a doll. This is this is a great disappointment to me. Only the doll Sniper was a doll. Mm-hmm. I think fundamentally it's also a disappointment to Sniper. Sniper wishes that that it was a doll. Yeah. Oh well. Maybe we can get him replaced with something that'll make me right. We'll see. <laughs> Um, and then, now I can't jump ahead that far. All right, we've, we have a little conversation between Tully and Sniper and Mycroft. Mycroft doesn't seem to much care for Tully. <laughs> um, yeah, that's yes. an understatement. I actually want to ask you a question about that. Um, in this chapter, we get a lot of, like, Minecraft interjecting things he assumes Tully is thinking. And then later mm-hmm. in the chapter, we get, I don't know if, we want to jump that far, but we get essentially a lie from Mycroft saying this is what Tully's saying when in fact it wasn't. And mm-hmm. the, and, and he actually interjects Tully's words in his own mouth. So to what degree do you think that Mycroft is just projecting his own like views of Tully onto Tully rather than like this is actually who Tully is? Oh, I think it's because Mycroft and Tully are like two of the most similar people in the story. Oh, wow. Okay, how is Tully similar to Mycroft? Oh my god, in like, in so many ways, what do you mean? Um, so they're like the two surviving members of the think tank experiments. They're both apparently some That's of the not best- That's true. Uh, most, oh, who's left? Most of the other- there was like f- uh, five original, and also the, um, the canner caretaker bash. Uh, the- the canners died, and the Martys died. But everyone else survived. There's like four other bashers that are around. Including the Terra from a bash, uh, Mycroft's actual foster bash. Alright, then I'll, I'll back up on that, but only barely, because I, I think I'm still on the right track here. Um, but they're both, they're both the survivors surviving of, members uh, of like, specifically this one uniquely weird family, mm-hmm. right? Will you, will you give me that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they're also both like the best persuaders in the entire universe. Uh, they also both lost their families when they were really young. Mm-hmm. And now they're both Nine doing and terrible eight. things. Yeah, pretty young. And now they're both going off and doing all these terrible things because they alone sort of understand the consequences of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Tully and Mycroft are just... And, and we even see it here, right? Like, uh, they're so similar. Mycroft, in recounting this forgets that he wasn't even the one who said all the smart right things he should have said and accidentally puts Tully's words in his mouth which he he cannot be doing because he wasn't on board with what Tully was saying mm-hmm. um well what I think is so yeah that, I, I just uh, think they're like I think he he was confused because he just his conception of Tully is like Tully would never say these things that's the thing I would be saying but in reality, Tully was the one actually saying it, and he was just sitting there crying or something, uh, doing nothing. And so I thought that that was yeah, an interesting, it, revealing scene because it made me go back and think: well, maybe Mycroft is actually projecting all this warmongering stuff onto Tully to some extent, and maybe Tully isn't quite the character we're being led to believe he is. Well, I think it's like a, it's like a kind of a combination of the two because there's several points where like they say the same things. Um, or for example, where, where, where Mycroft gags and has to agree with Tully, or one time when they just, 
say something simultaneously. Yeah. No, I, they are almost the exact same. Like I would, I would say Talia's clearly there to be like a like a foil for Mycroft. Like, what could Mycroft have been if things had gone a little bit? But that that almost seems too obvious. Um, well, I think it's interesting because we're not they're not the text doesn't present them as a foil. We have to like reason this out ourselves. Mycroft just hates Tully. I think the text presents this pretty no, he not pretty upfront. Not on first reading because the text when it talks about Tully explicitly doesn't present him as a, as a foil, but rather as a failure or a desperate enemy or someone who has to be destroyed. Um, but it's only by look, taking a step back and seeing with the text what we actually know for a fact about Tully can we see this this parallel. I think it's a result of, of Mycroft being the narrator. I would agree with you more before I read this chapter. That's fair. Like, I think this chapter... And I would... And in fact, I wouldn't have agreed. I would say you're reading too far into this. Because we've gotten very little of Tully as a character. We've had brief snippets of speeches, but we've never seen a lot of him sort of just being Tully. Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks ago, I would have said, if presented that You're reading ridiculously far into it. Everything isn't a foil of everything, calm down. But having read this chapter, I think it's really clear that they're... Like, they're almost the same person. I think it's also interesting to see... Uh, Minecraft describe where Tully comes from and how, like, what he imagines Tully should be. Well, first, because when describing right. um, and- Mercer Marty, uh, Minecraft says, describes uh, Mercer as expanding the reach of psychology uh, far beyond what Brill what, what, what did. How? By recording what happened to her as Minecraft has vivisected her. So, the, the core, most important thing Mercy Marty did, according to Minecraft, uh, is recount what happened as he tortured to death. That's probably true. But <laughs> hear me out. Like, keep going a tiny bit, right? Yeah. We get to the last sentence. The child of such a pair should have ridden on a sphinx back across an earth that did not deserve to touch his feet, while on his coat the avatars of human intellect should war like angels through the cityscape of man's cyclopean unconscious. Instead, he whined. Fucking... Guess what Mycroft does? <laughs> Can I say that this chapter has some of the best, like, just... Like the sentences in the chapter are just be- beautiful and like brilliant, and I love I loved reading it. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a callback to the the thing he said about Ken Marty uh, at some point about how you know he should have killed himself when I left him freezing to death in the Arctic or or whatever. Very similar yeah, Mycroft, vibe. It, yeah, Mycroft has maybe incredibly but- high expectations for the people who he tortures to death and tortures the family to death. It's it's unreasonable. Yeah. Um. No, but but hear me out. That's exactly, that is to a T, Mycroft Canner. He had the best pedigree. He had the best education. He was a minor senator. Everyone knew Mycroft as going to be a powerful local force since he was a child. And what do we get out of Mycroft Canner? Not even the Mycroft Canner who was committed enough to his ideals to do murders. He's sitting, he's writing a book, and he spends the whole time crying that he didn't do a good enough job. Um... (laughs) Which is interesting because I believe um, Cookie at, at one point references Mycroft and the Brain Bash as being one example of, you know, where nurturism could help. Like that she blames the way that they were brought up as a kind of set set like training. And uh, it does seem to me that at least from the perspective of Mycroft, he is 
conditioned to think about himself in a certain way and like act in a certain way. So it, I guess yeah. I would say, is Cookie right? <laughs> is the connection she's making between all these different uh, types of uh, ways of raising children concerning at all? Well, I, I think Mycroft, amusingly enough, both thinks that the naturists are bad and agrees with 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 Cookie's extension, uh, right? Because there are several points in this in in the in the book where where Mycroft. In the previous two books, where Minecraft explicitly compares uh, the racing of Dominic, the racing of uh, of Eureka, the racing of Voltaire, uh, not the the utopia, not the the the, the philosopher. I'm pretty sure, yeah, not the philosopher. Um, uh, Sniper also makes I, a reference to Jed in this chapter in the same light, mm-hmm. which is interesting because there's, so there's, actually... like there's like a there's like a a thing through the line where like. They talk about how best to raise a child and sort of go through the various experimental child raisings. I know Montagna, Montaigne, um, uh, was raised was raised, for example, exclusively on, in Latin, uh, which is which also means he's this he was the only person who spoke his mother tongue as a mother tongue, which is so sad, um, right? Yeah. Raised raised on Latin <laughs> in read. a time when no people no longer spoke Latin. Is that what, what you mean? Well, people spoke Latin, but not Latin like Montan- Montaigne spoke it, because Montaigne spoke it as like a mother tongue. Like it's there's no one else who could converse as easily as he could converse as I as, as, as I. I, mm-hmm. I mean, Latin was a common. People were very good speakers of Latin until much more recently than it died as a language. Like there's a difference, right, between a, a first and I mean, second I language, think... and moreover, there's a difference between. Yes. Latin that they spoke and Latin, I'm pretty sure Latin that Montaigne spoke, because Montaigne spoke like like Cicero wrote, um, I'm pretty sure, and they spoke Latin much more like the the, the Masons speak Latin with like rel- regular word order, not not very fancy constructions. So here's uh, here's where I, I that just doesn't seem that bad to me, um, <laughs> and I think I think perhaps you are overestimating the degree to which his Latin would be, like, incomprehensible and I don't think, it, I don't think it's, like, the else. worst thing. Because he had to be raised by someone, right? <laughs> I don't so think... he had to be raised by sufficiently fluent speakers that I'm sure he was better at Latin than all of his other people at his university. But, like, he, had, he was raised by his parents. I imagine there were plenty of people around in the, in the period who spoke well enough to, to get on. I know many very fluent second-language speakers of English. I don't think it's, like, the worst thing in the world. I'm simply noting it as an example of a sort of experimental reason. Oh, then sure, yeah. yeah. I'm on board. I'm I'm opposed to your isn't-that-the-saddest-thing-ever side. I don't think it's the saddest I'm pretty thing. on board for the rest. I think it's sad. Um, but I don't think it's yeah. so sad. Um. <laughs> uh... I'm I'm noticing we're farther into this than I thought, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to move us along a little quicker. We get some more information about the Marty murders. It turns out Ken Marty, who I think was the Arctic yeah. samurai, yeah? yeah, was dismembered, so he must have gone back. Um He noted that uh when he talked about Ken Marty first. Uh also, apparently Mycroft got enough bile from Mercer Marty to bathe in it. And I gotta tell you, that's like a lot of bile. I don't sure, have that much bile. I'm pretty sure that's poetic. I'm pretty sure he's referring to the photos of... Because that's when they caught Mycroft. They caught Mycroft arms deep inside of Mercer Marty. I thought it was the other one. 
I thought they caught Mycroft as he was fleeing Kohaku. They caught Mycroft. No, it was Mercer. It was Mercer, I believe, yes. Why didn't he do a better job erasing the numbers Kohaku left again? I didn't. I think he may have been caught twice. Let me check. It was caught twice. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I was wrong. Don't check. Don't tell me. You have a history with... (laughs) Actually, I I have a sheet that has all the characters. Let me look up real quick, because I was writing down, as I was going through the books, the different ways the Martys were killed. Um, That's probably really helpful okay. for us. Can you send that to me? While you look that up. The, fir- the first <laughs> death was Aeneas Marty, and let me see if I can mm-hmm. find which one was the last one. Wait, but have, has it been revealed by this point yeah, in the yeah, story? Yeah, no, this is, this is, I'm reading along with the, the podcast, so none of these notes... Okay, be, this is concurrent with us. None of these. Excellent. Yeah. This is certainly not a While you're looking, definitive one. I just have vivisection. Um, I don't have the, the, the order on that one, unfortunately. They would take a lot of bile. I still think that's too much bile for one person. So Mycroft should know better. I don't know. Like, this is a person who's known to be bile-friendly. Uh, <laughs> he ripped out seven hearts. Mm-hmm. Which ones? I'm not sure. Um, and ate them. Those are my two interesting to questions. As well. He... He did a lot of cannibalism. I think there was some discussion about how much cannibalism he did, and I think we get the answer in this chapter that he did a lot of cannibalism. Well, because he was really trying to do that thing from Indiana Jones, where you like pluck someone's heart out and then show it to them while it's Isn't still beating. Is that beating. an Aztec mm-hmm. uh, sacrifice thing? I think he wa- no, he wanted to do it as like a combat move, right, no. which is not how the Aztecs did oh, it. Okay, yeah. I think. Let me not say anything. I think the concept though was that. If you're eating their heart, it's like you're gaining something from them. Like he's like trying to power up by eating like all the Marty's hearts and like internalizing their powers or something. Sure. But in I think it's into like the lightning. He talks about how it's a lost martial art. Mm-hmm. So Mycroft wanted to be able to like in a fist fight, pluck someone's heart out. Um, I don't think that's true. And he, he says he couldn't figure out how to do it. He says he couldn't, but how he plucked it out, they were dead. It wasn't beating anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've had a lo- we had a whole conversation about this. Mm-hmm. I meant to go and ask. I know people who are doctors. What I don't want to do <laughs> is ask that question in a way <laughs> that they think it's for a reason. You know, um, <laughs> I just I don't want to give the wrong impression there. That's that's very fair. So I've been I've been putting it off. Uh, so the, the conversation continues. They, they go back and forth a little bit. My next note is Sniper thinks he has to die. I'm... Where? I'm actually not sure what he's referring to here. Jed. No, 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 no. Definitely I know he thinks that. Sniper thinks... Oh, I'm sorry. It's the... Oh, Christ, the pronouns in this book. Sniper thinks it has to die. Mm-hmm. It being Sniper. Okay. No, I, I definitely remember that being said. I, I also remember not want, not knowing exactly why Sniper felt that way, but it may just be that it's just sort of a gut feeling that, you know, this is only going to end with both of us dying, me and Jed. I'm going to kill Jed Mason, and then Which... I'm going to die. Like, that's his conception of, like, how his life's going to play out, maybe. And I think that's probably kind of what Jehovah is going for also. I'm still pretty on board for my theory that ever since Jehovah came back, he has been doing a plan that ends in him dying, sort of to buy stability 
um, or some version of stability for the world. Because my, my overall pitch for how this works, and I, I'm sure I've talked about it on the show, is that the reason we wound up with Bridger was to make sure that the world destabilized enough that humanity can go on and be this universe's God's pet project. So with um, that line of thought, though, would you... And then there's this been this reference to um, Bridger being the child of Apollo some kind of i don't know technology maybe or some kind of uh apollo was somehow involved with bridger's birth is that maybe that he's some that's some kind of contingency plan for like if i die bridger is going to be deployed and uh continue my plan plan. (laughs) i mean i think he's called i forget the name asclepius or something which is if you look Asclepius. up, the, the, it's like the child of Apollo, the god. So it seems like the text oh. is very clearly like trying to tell us that like there is a connection here. And Saladin also was like, but wait, uh, you know, Apollo's spouse wasn't pregnant. Like, how can this be their child? Well, but there have been yeah. there have been a few elements of what's going on that would be necessary to ensure that humanity survives long term. Um, and I think Apollo who worked with the historians to discover sort of the the horrible truths of war. I think that tracks, right? So as Providence is doing its acting, Apollo could very well be like a key element there to make sure, hey, there's someone who has some plan for how war is going to happen. There's these important people know this one person is going to spur them to think about what's coming up. Then, you know, we get this whole thing with Jehovah coming over and causing enough of a diplomatic stir with his takeover of all the different hives um and then you know i think bridger can sort of fit into this as uh ah, kind of the same thing they gave us achilles they gave us jehovah back that maybe sort of points in a direction I, i can't put all these pieces together in a in a really clean consistent way just yet i I think that is because I don't know enough of the connecting pieces, and not because I'm totally on the wrong track. The problem with having wild theories, though, is that it's really hard to see the difference between those two things where I am in the story now. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so Mycroft and Sniper, good friends. Which, maybe that's why he's been so nice about him killing Jehovah. Uh, we find out that Sniper did plan... Uh... The assassination of Jehovah with its uh, doll set. Yeah. I still think the moral questions <laughs> raised were worthwhile. But uh, no, that's definitely conspiracy. <laughs> I find it a little... I don't know why I didn't think... I find it a little jarring how we have one chapter where characters are like at each other's throats trying to kill each other. And then we have another chapter where we they wake up with each other, you know, in each other's hands, you know, like showing affection and, like, being friendly. It's a very strange, like, way to, like, see the characters interact with each other. Well, Sniper and Mycroft. That's just... That is what Mycroft is like. And Saladin. Quite a few of the characters actually are like this, and it's it's a little weird. It's a little jarring to, like, see them have that full range of, like, I want to kill you, but I also love you. <laughs> I'm still not entirely sure Saladin didn't stab Mycroft. Um, <laughs> I like how, um... Oh, and... I like how Wayne... Go on. Mycroft, uh, when Tully asked Mycroft, who's one of them going to kill first? And Mycroft's like, no, I wouldn't do that here. Tully responds, no appetite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was a great line. 
There's another line around here that really jumped out at me, and it was uh, page 137. So, I barely remember the series of pale faces, Martin, Papa, Voltaire, Apollo, Otis, Heloise, that kept the suicide watch in turn. Two things. One, who's Otis? You, Otis was um, first mentioned in, um, Oetus is, is, was, was first mentioned in chapter five. You just entirely missed it because you were concentrated entirely on the legal drama. Who, uh, give me a, give me a clue. I checked the 710 list and they, I couldn't find their name on it. Uh, they're one of the services. This is like the nickname that is oh, given. Oh, they're one of the services. As a, I believe it's yeah. taken from That's right. the Iliad maybe or something or... Yeah, it's implied that the this this cast of names is like the Myrmidons. Okay. Which one is he? Is it one of the ones that did something interesting? I don't know the Myrmidons. <laughs> my, my Greek knowledge runs aground. No, no. Which, in this book, character? Uh... Oh, we just oh, okay. gave I know which one uniform. it is now. I've just found it. Yep, the uniform one. Yeah. All right. Uh, second, who did he think Apollo was? It wasn't Apollo. Yeah. Was it Saladin in Apollo's coat? I've got nothing here. If Bridger was still alive, I'd say it's it's Bridger. But, uh... But he just sees the people sometimes. <sighs> he does. But this is a... That means they left him alone to be hallucinating Apollo, mm, right? No. I, and I don't buy that. Maybe they just had someone else there and they just, like, talked to the post plates one, one set seat to the left and, uh, as if there was Apollo. I don't know. This feels like one of those things that I'm going to come back and I'm going to read and I'm going to feel like and I'm in, like a just a huge idiot. <laughs> I know Johnny has a theory that Bridger is still alive. Uh, I did note the point. I still where, don't uh, like that theory. Earlier in the chapter, Mycroft remembers a warm, childlike child, thin hand clinging to his. Yeah, I like to think that Bridger it, like pulled um like that. Uh... That guy from Watchmen, where he just, like, goes off to, like, live on another planet for a while and, like, tells everybody he's dead. Dr. Manhattan? That's it, yes, thank you. But, yeah, I liked the theory that Johnny proposed. I don't know how likely it is to be true, but it's a cool theory. If Bridger isn't dead, Bridger's even worse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean... And this book seems to think I love Bridger, so that's probably not what's going on. Mycroft loves Bridger. He says, so do you, reader, and not so far. <laughs> you know, I have a hard time, like, empathizing with Mycroft here, because I feel like he really dropped the ball with Bridger. Like, he was so focused on uh, Jed Mason for those, like, the last days of the yeah. uh, transformation that, you know, he kind of just left Bridger like, to his own devices and caused the emotional state he was in that, like, ultimately made him decide to do what he did. Um, and Yeah. Yeah. Well, also by raising him poorly. That too. <laughs> now, it's a little bit Thisbe's fault. It's a little bit Achilles' fault. But mostly it's Mycroft's fault. It's, it's also Thisbe's fault. I don't know why it's mostly Mycroft's fault. Because Mycroft, who at this point has been well-established as one of the single most persuasive people in the world, despite the text, uh, couldn't convince a not-very-bright child to not kill themselves. That's fair. I think Mycroft's more culpable because he has a larger piece of the puzzle. Like He has a bigger, more conclusive picture of what's going on. Like, yes, Thisbe 
didn't do great, but like she also didn't know half the things that Mycroft did about the world. She didn't really know Jed Mason until like right till the end. So like Mycroft, knowing everything he knew, still like let Bridger basically go like insane and do what he did. It's like he should have known better. He should have been focused more on uh, of the two gods he's serving. He should have focused more on Bridger at the end mm-hmm. than than Jed. Like Jed, okay, Jed doesn't have a translator for a few days. He's going to be sad, but like. You know, when you're dealing with, you know, a 13 year old kid versus an adult, you know, it's, 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 for me, it was one of them was technically <laughs> a mind. Yeah. But yeah, I, t- I completely agree. Jed would have been fine. He, he doesn't have a translator, but he does speak eight languages. Let's <laughs> get eight people. Obviously, one, one of each language and have them confer after. Mycroft's calculation. Like, it would not have been. Is like anything that's like even remotely like inconvenient to Jed Mason is like, oh my god, I can't allow this to happen. Like and so I think his calculations are just off in terms of like where they mm-hmm. needed to be in that in those key moments. Anyway, so yeah, we have some really heavy foreshadowing of something that I'm gonna hate later. Mm-hmm. Um there's actually anyway, there's a line above that. It... I wanted to just see what, what you thought about it. Uh I know more than you think, Mycroft. Joyce Faust Darway designed their child to be a hive eating monster take over or destroy mm-hmm. that's what they're for they can't stop themselves any more than eureka can switch off the computer and walk away i thought that was like pretty heavy uh you know this is very much in line with the cookie argument about nurturism but like do you think sniper was actually um led to believe that like does this sound like something like a partisan person would say that's in support of nurturism or is this like a totally separate thing than that I think it's more convincing that Jed specifically might be literally some kind of set sets. Or some, like, I don't know, set set 2.0. Yeah, I think... And here's the problem. I think on the facts, Sniper isn't even all that wrong. Um, I think my my key disagreement with Sniper is how bad it would be... How do I phrase this in a way that's... Uh, that's gonna that's gonna communicate what I mean to communicate, and not a different thing. So I don't think Jehovah Mason leading several, most, all, but I don't think all is likely the hives is as bad for the hive system as Sniper thinks that is for the hive system. Why? I think uh, because I because I don't think that that would lead to based on what we know of specifically Jehovah based on what we know of the ways that these hives are put together. Like, I don't expect um, that that would lead to any long-term changes in their fundamental structure. So if the Mitsubishi and the Masons and the Cousins and the Human all independently just happened to believe that one person was the most the things they care about, I'm not, like, all that concerned. Um, Now, the stuff Madame is doing... To force that to happen, ma, that's a way bigger threat to the safety of the hives than Jehovah actually succeeding, if you will, and taking over all of them. So you don't buy the argument I guess that's it. that uh, the hives being autonomous and different is what keeps the whole system working, that there's a, a choice involved. And if you take that ability to take big choices, meaningful choices away from people, that the hive system itself just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I mean, I think the big issue with, in particular, the Masons and in empires and, you know, dictatorships in general is that you're stuck. But 
the reason why it's sold as like this is fine in our world because like you could just not be a mason if you want like you could just leave well as more and more of the world gets put under one rule there will no longer be a choice to opt out of that system so it's it is a kind of fundamental no, problem um i i actually i do think that uh what i don't think is that this necessarily poses a threat to that um and and a key element of that is that like in, in concept, Jehovah is becoming the leader of these hives. Through each hive's individual way that they decide who the leader is. So I don't think it makes sense for us to say, for example, that the Mitsubishi cannot elect as their leader uh, someone in the royal line of Spain because, well, that might cause conflicts of interest. And I don't think that any of the hives couldn't, if they needed to, elect someone else as a ruler. The, the humanists do new elections all the time. It starts to become a thing. They don't like Jehovah anymore. They'll elect someone else. Um, so the thing that you think... The stuff protects... that happens in the next chapter... Mm-hmm. No, sorry. So go on. The thing you think protects people is the, the, the in some sense, the constitution of each hive. Yes. I think that's much more important than the specific leader mm-hmm. of any hive. Does it change... And I don't think... Does it change because uh, Jed is actively working to change their constitutions, um, does that change your calculation at all? I, I don't think that's happening. Uh, you mean the cousin thing, right? Well, now we have four that are being um, said that need to be changed, including the um, Europeans and uh, the cousins as well. I don't think... The cousin thing, uh, I just don't blame Jehovah for. <laughs> so, like... Maybe, uh, but I'm not that worried about it. Um, if he was, like, if these things are happening because Jehovah has been going out of his way to change, like, how the hives go about electing their leaders, then I'm I'm going to rapidly become much more concerned. What's actually happened is that we're just in, like, a weird time of, of crisis. And I think these calls to change the constitutions of all of these other hives, except for the cousin, because that one was totally justified, super bad ideas. Uh, this is not the time to be playing those games. Yeah, and arguably with uh, Jed being positioned in almost every single hive's like structure of like law, he has the potential to influence how those constitutions get changed. Maybe, but if he was in those positions because he was in other positions, I'd be a lot more worried about Jehovah. What I think actually happened is that independently, all of the hives looked at him and went, you're really good at this. Uh... Here, have a help us out for a little bit on Saturday. I don't know if that's and that yeah. so true. I think in, in I think there's it's one thing. Lots of lots of people want to claim Jed as their own, um, mm-hmm. but also specifically Hive leaders have wanted to claim Jed as their own. I think right? we get a textual explanation because yeah, he's really good at stuff. That actually, they they say that they all want to spend time with uh, Jed, and so they give him like a job to do, like a reason to be like in their like in their hive doing things. And so this is just kind it's of like, an excuse to like hang out with Jed, essentially. It's like if a parent wants to hang out with you more and so uh out of the depths of nepotism gives you like a job at their place. Except it's like seven different parents. Yeah. If uh if Mason had been like strong arming Faust into giving Jed a job, that would not be okay with me. But I, I I guess that's the fundamental disagreement here. I think, one, that the story 
Sniper is telling about this single dictator coming over to make all the hives into one isn't really accurate. I think even if Jehovah becomes leader of all the hives, for narrative reasons, maybe it's better if he turns them all into a single hive. But for where we are in the world right now, what we see right now, um, like, I'm, I'm okay, uh, he's, but he's coming into all of them through the normal systems of power generation within that hive, right? Um, who Sniper should totally be assassinating, 100%, Madame. <laughs> Zero question. Uh, she is doing things that threaten the stability of the hive system. Constantly, if all you, the time. It's actually if you kill Madame, so though, clear that that's happening. Do you think if Madame was dead, though, that someone else wouldn't be using Jed in the same way that she would use him? I, I'm not... I don't think Jed is as much Madame's, like, puppet as Madame thinks he is. Well, we get this uh, explanation for, like, why Madame... It's not made clear how much she knew about the plan to, like, to reform the world, but, like, she makes it seem like, you know, yes, I have all these minions off doing these random things that are gonna eventually make my position better, and... One of the things she says is that, like, Jed doesn't have the ambition to, like, do the all these things that I want him to do, so I had to, like, basically push him to do that. And so it seems to me that, to some extent, like, she's trying to strong-arm him into doing what she wants him to do, even though you're right. I yeah, uh, um, no, no. That's made textually very clear in the conversation she has with Utopia. But, like... Madame is actively plotting to put Jed in uh, positions of power. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily speaks poorly of Jed, of the Hives, of the fundamental stability of the Hive system. Um, it definitely speaks poorly of Madame. Like, Madame so, is a problem for, so for Hive. Just in the last chapter, there was actually uh, another character that essentially did what Madame does. She, she took Jed to the Conclave, knowing what was going to transpire. Um, and so it's very easy for me just to, to see other characters using Jed. Uh, if Madame didn't exist, or if she was killed for some reason. Yeah, I think Jed is, like, uniquely very manipulable, if you know about Jed, because most people have a conception of Jed, which is simply of Jed as an independent being in ways that simply don't turn out to be true, right? Like, um, like, Jed doesn't think to say, to reassure the senses that actually, I don't care about Julia, because he doesn't think it's important. Yeah, so I don't think, like, killing Joyce is, is the solution. If you think that, like, Jed is a problem, like, it, Jed is already connected to the Hive. So, like, killing killing uh, Madame only changes the person most likely to be able to influence Jed's, uh, you know, power, essentially. Well, that's, but that's sort of the thing I'm getting at here, is I don't, I don't think that Jehovah is fundamentally a problem, um, I think he is being made into a problem by this, this other thing happening. Okay. Like, the worry we get from Sniper is that we'll have a world dictator, mm-hmm. and Sniper thinks he needs to do whatever he needs to to stop there being a world dictator, because of the consequence of world dictatorship. Mm-hmm. I think Sniper is exaggerating. The reasons that a world dictator are a problem are not things I actually see happening with this particular world shift. Uh, <laughs> maybe they could, but... The things about it that would worry me are, is stuff like um, making all of the hives the same thing, which I just don't see happening. Okay, so we were an hour and a bit in, and wow. we are only halfway through the first chapter. <laughs> okay, so we get a... 
hang on, let me let me pull up my notes. Uh, I'm actually getting pretty quickly through my notes. I don't care much about this conversation between Tully and Sniper. Uh, let's see, who's Otis? One of the surfacers. I don't love Bridger. Cool. Sniper makes an argument that humanists morally are all murderers. <laughs> Sniper is wrong. Why? Um, for the same reason that everyone who... No, I guess it's a different reason than that. Um, the humanists didn't think the wish list was a real thing. They were just playing a dumb internet chain letter. So, yeah. If the humanist believed the wish list was real and they did it anyway, I still think he'd be kind of incorrect. Why? Uh, mm-hmm. But they didn't, so that's fine. Are we discussing the... I'm giving uh, the short version of this very intentionally. <laughs> we're talking about the wish list, but have we jumped yet to the the moment when that wish list becomes relevant? The um, the way that uh, Eureka reacts and, and the, the news that they find out? No, before that. Not yet. Um, no. Okay. Okay, we're, we're not there. Not there yet. Okay. We can jump to uh, there. One second. Uh, this seems... Uh, before that, okay. uh, Bridger, uh, Minecraft, confirms my point last episode. Uh, when Minecraft says, love and murder are not so antithetical. I maintain that the uh, Minecraft did the Maori murders out of love. Um, sure. Great. Uh, I have a quick note, too. Molly, uh, Minecraft tells Tully he's needed to help Ancelay with duties they don't have time for anymore, which is a really modest way of referring to himself as the next anonymous like <laughs> i'm just helping out Wait, it is supposed to be anonymous it's just a very mycroft way of putting it mm-hmm. it's also interesting this is uh, go back when, when but when anonymous talks to to mycroft uh he talks in spanish and we see the anonymous first speak spanish earlier in this book and it's not great spanish so he's a quick study he's a quick study um but it's interesting. When does the anonymous talk to Mycroft? In the nagging back to life. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. The point wasn't so much that 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 is that Mycroft has already mentally switched his image of the anonymous from a French speaker to a Spanish speaker, despite it being literally like a couple days. That was not something I noticed at all. I don't. I don't pay close enough attention to the um, the quotation marks in this book. I have to because because that's the only way you can tell languages. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Besides from the Greek, um, as a note for people who aren't... Well, one thing you can do is just not notice, and then hope someone else points it out to you later. Uh, as a note about the Greek, um, the, the words that that, um, that Minecraft pulls up are Polymios and Exclos. Uh, Polymios, my faction foe. Exclos, my enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, no credit for translating those ones. The sentence he says them, it explains them. Not translation, I'm reading them aloud, because they're in Greek letters. Have you ever watched a creature struggle against an injury it can't understand? I mean, to me, that read is pretty clearly another, you know, sort of reference to sets that's not being people. But, uh, and they go, you go, you get a long, like paragraph of like various types of creatures who are like being injured in ways like that they don't quite get i don't know i thought that was a pretty interesting way of referencing the set sets as non-people i think it's interesting because uh, i thought the page mycroft thought the set sets were people Mycroft doesn't like the naturalists at all hang on what page are we 142? on 142 oh i was so I was looking before eureka that. starts screaming and mm-hmm. mycroft then goes on this like analogy of like you know, all these various animals that uh, 
are harmed in ways that they don't quite understand the reasoning for it and it's it's a certain kind of pain where you like don't understand the pain mm-hmm. and then he then he's you know he's comparing eureka's pain to that which to me i i just found very interesting as a parallel mm-hmm. maybe i'm reading too much into it no, i think it's a we actually get a bunch no i think it's yeah the parallel is there we get a bunch about the data that the set sets and um tally look at and it's weird data um like i wouldn't expect based on what i thought eureka was doing so far to run the car system that they would have this much information based on this news breaking unless it was like car tracks changing uh it turns out that like the set sets are monitoring things such as heart rates of everyone on earth sure it's an that is specifically called out it's an algorithm as one of the things tully it's looks an algorithm at. that takes in various data points and like uses all that data to predict when people will need cars so there's some theory i guess you could say that like someone's heartbeat might change in reaction to like wanting a car or something so like it, it's a relevant data point piece of data to factor in so it, it well, doesn't seem that unusual well i think but previously they literally i think only had the car data and so like they 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 end up like talking about how they notice things about the black hole by monitoring the 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 different weights the car had comparison to who ordered the car and how many people they expected to have in the car it was just like a whole thing it was very interesting um i think what's happening is that they've hacked other data sources trackers keep track of heartbeats and we know that the people that try to design oh, yeah. set sets to monitor trackers specifically uh, but it doesn't mean that Eureka can't try. I have a question. What is exactly is Eureka screaming about? Oh, the the they indicted all the humanists. Yeah, which means that no humanist can be associated with the trial, which is like a huge problem. But I guess not actually under their laws. No, they so I... they hated it too. It's a whole long thing about how this is like this is, this is judicial disenfranchisement. Disenfranchisement. So, so you think that. Eureka is screaming because of learning this news mm-hmm. specifically. Like it's, ups- no, it's an upsetting I, piece of information. My, mm-hmm. No, 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 no. My read of this was that Eureka was screaming because whatever happened when the news broke was painful to them. Like the reaction on whatever all these metrics was so severe that with their set set brain plugged in, like it was too much information all at once. Maybe. Or like it's information that is clearly harmful to humanists, maybe. So the way I would interpret yeah, it, but I think this is a is that in the same way that like a data point like ups- finds upsetting, like they they were talking about finding data points that in some way affected the world mm-hmm. uh, in a negative way. This is like that times a million, which is like everybody in the world has learned that the humanists have been indicted, and this has caused that same data you know, input stream to like cause. An, an enormous amount of pain in Eureka in the same way that that other set set who was investigating just deleted the data point like on purpose, like just as a reaction, like, Oh yeah, I got to get rid of this data point. Well, this is like that, but in a way that you literally cannot delete a data point because everybody in the world is reacting in that way. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And to me that points to a pretty strong indication that like, the OS system probably didn't start as like an intentional thing. It was probably like the set sets were, were created. They were plugged into this system and then they immediately had a like natural reaction to like kill people. 
to like fix problems and then os was like wait why do you want to keep wanting to do this and eventually it, it became a kind of like system that they could use but it wasn't like we're going to de develop set sets in order to to you know get a better understanding of the data to kill people to create an assassination program i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure os predates the cars by like a lot Predates what? the set sets, or does it? No, I thought the, the, set sets... the OS program and the set sets almost came into existence around the same time. Yeah, so it's arguable that the set sets were the reason why OS can even exist, and they may have been the initial like person who discovered this this idea of being able to change the world by killing people. Hmm. Yeah, in the um in the chapter in Seven Surrenders where they get a set set to look at the 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 car data, the track data, uh -huh. um. They talk about how the the they the killings have been going on since they first switched over the car system to the set set system. No, wait, bah, bad. What they talk about is that they can track the killings that far. Yes. That's not the same thing as the killings started. It's, it's a it's a reasonable deduction. Yes. Is it? I disagree. I think we have plenty. Cause to assume that the, the OS system predates... Well, how would they have figured it out without the, the Mukta? I think there was probably a lot of guesswork involved. Like, people have been doing assassinations for a really long time. They, they didn't need set sets. But they weren't effective without the set sets. They might no. have been. Uh, Sniper didn't consult a set set before attempting to murder Jehovah. Like, I'm how not do you know that's not... Better how do you know that's true? Now. I'm, I'm presuming Why? that's true. Uh, when Sniper talks about why he needs to kill Jehovah, he isn't saying, I don't know, Eureka told me to. He's saying, I have this whole political theory of assassination, and it tells me to murder tyrants. So, uh, I would say I would, it's arguable that great. killing Jehovah would not fix the data problems. It would probably make it worse. So I think that Sniper is just reacting to like a gut instinct rather than some kind of like data-driven uh, answer on that. I would expect, I would expect both Tully... And Eureka to stop piping up if that was true, because Tully really only cares about the quality of the of the, of the war in the, in the in the sense that it will make the next war survivable, and in the sense of reducing casualty numbers. Mm hmm. And Eureka, yeah. So we have a whole extra chapter to do. Well, we have. Um, they indict all the humanists. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Sorry, we have no. Go we, on. They indict all the, the humanists. Um. And we find out right. about the how the alliance does trials. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, there are three judges of three different hives. Two are chosen by um, two are chosen Prosec uh, mm -hmm. defense, and one is chosen by yeah. prosecution. Yeah, it's a fine system. It seems okay. This is also uh, going to be the system of the next ethics poll. Okay. okay. Um. Here's mm -hmm. the problem. How? I mean, the how? Like, there's not actually a defense and a prosecution. Someone... Like, we're just going to line up someone, ten judges? Someone makes a case, and another person attack, and another person attacks it. That's... I'm worried I haven't explained to you guys how Ethics Bowl works very well. Because <laughs> that is not a fundamental part of the Ethics Bowl system. The last judge was super confused about this, too. Um, like, you... We can change the rules. We can... Fine. We'll make it so whoever goes first, the other team has to disagree with them. If it would fit the books better, I guess. It's kind of opposed to the whole thing Ethics Bowl is going for, but... We always end up disagreeing, and it's better for, better for points if we can find a reason to disagree. 
we'll just encoding in 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 the rules what um what happened in practice okay but like what do i do if you um if we agree critique their position as usual but but no because now i have to be attacking their position one person has a position the other person critiques the person who critiques is the pr- the prosecutor the person who isn't is the defendant that that's not what those <laughs> were we can talk about this okay. some other time we did i'm i'm getting very worried about the clock cuz we're not even close to yeah. done. So I want to, ma- uh, I want to bring up one thing, which is something was mentioned in a previous podcast. There was the black laws were explicit about like you know, having a, a desire to kill someone is not you know against the rules essentially mm-hmm. that you can't convict someone. But yet we have here the prosecution indicting all of the humanists for two hundred and fifty thousand counts of conspiracy to commit murder. How? Are they able to justify those indictments? I think the answer is they're they not can't. indicting them on black laws. Any other hive could have conspiracy to commit murder as a law. Yes, but these are universal free alliance prosecutors, from what I understand. Right. The whole point is that they're trying to poison nope. pill the, Wait, like, no. the trial of Prospero because if if any of the humans can be selected as a judge then they will like Prospero will select a humanist as a judge so the I, idea is every single humanist is no, now indicted I, because, which I just disagree that's not what's happening um they're not being charged under the universal laws they're being charged under the law of the hive that the victim happens to fall under and this is where all that earlier stuff that we found out about the law system with Terra Agnata comes back in. Um, this is not necessarily a Universal Free Alliance case. This is a inter-hive law case, which is a different well, thing. Well, it's, okay. it's, it's judged by the alliance in, in its competency as an alliance, not its competency as a universal authority. Yes. Well, what we learn is that this, is, this indictment is just a ploy by the prosecution to prevent mm-hmm. Prospera from having a uh, judge mm-hmm. that is from the Humanist Bash. And so, oh, it's definitely that. The question is, like, it, how is is that legal or not? And and, and I was wondering about that myself. Um, is it maybe just a trumped up charge that it's ultimately going to get dropped, but they're going to just you know ride it out until Prospera's trial is over? Or, or do you think there is a legal justification for these charges? I think they're not going to actually con- try to convict every single humanist on conspiracy to commit murder because how, why, what would that mean? Uh <laughs> Yeah. Even there, if there's some So there's sort of two mm-hmm. there's sort of two questions built in there, right? One is how is this like a legal charge? How is it a legal charge? I think is very easy to answer and sort of address, which is the notion of charging someone for conspiracy to commit murder is entirely legitimate under the system of law as I understand it, as it exists now. Um this specific thing they're doing, where they're charging an entire hive with conspiracy to commit murder, so that an ongoing trial cannot be tried, is like surely obstruction of justice, uh, and definitely is not going to go through. But they don't need it to go through. They only need it to be extant until the judges and the juries for Prospero have been mm-hmm. determined. Well. I totally expect that this will become illegal <laughs> a week after this trial concludes, right? They'll finish, and then they'll say, and by the way, you can't indict an entire hive because you don't want them on 
uh, hearing a court case. Uh, but I guess no one's tried this before. I think so it's... Do you you mm-hmm. think that the Universal Fairlines' prosecutors have the ability to, um, to indict you on your own hive's law laws versus, like, say, a humanist prosecutor would prosecute you under the humanist law? Yeah. And we're told that. Like, there's a whole system for what if I, a humanist, commit a crime against a utopian that's a crime for a utopian but not for a humanist? And that's where the polylaws come in, and that's where all these complex interactions start to take place. So, absolutely. So Um, the idea... If the humanists were black laws, I think maybe they couldn't. So the idea would be that, like, they they have... killed people in these other hives so they're going to use those hives laws in in the context of that interhive uh thing so like every single humanist is yeah. a conspirator in killing all these various people on the list that are not humanist so that that's the need for the um the universal free alliance prosecution i think if they, they yes. were black law the black laws would all kill them under the the real eighth law Right, but could you... I don't think the Free Alliance prosecutor could charge a black law with a conspiracy to yeah. commit murder. But they can charge a humanist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And the, I think that's where... Yeah. No, no. I th- and I think that's where you end up with the distinction between what are the black mm-hmm. laws and what are the additional mm-hmm. laws. Under just the black laws, you're totally right. Conspiracy to commit anything, nothing. We, in fact, made a joke about it when we talked about the black laws. But humanists... Are not that. Uh, and then I want to also comment on, uh, Micron has a whole thing where he lists every hive and what, what the handkerchief is, and I have to choose one of them. And then says, and not a single human, uh, which is <laughs> that was, that was good. very good. Uh, it also means uh, uh, as titles go, the title human, as for just for the human, it's humanists, is, uh, is wild. That is a good one. Sorry, I'll I'll be mm-hmm. right back. You may still be able to hear me for the next two minutes, but the microphone mm-hmm. will not. No, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> okay, I'm buying it. I I I, re- I was at first a little thrown off at that, and I thought maybe it was some kind of legal trickery that they were using. But it does make sense to me that a universal fair lines prosecutor could use a hive law to prosecute someone if it was mm-hmm. interhive. Yeah. But it is still it is still like pretty dubious like type of lawyery bullshit. Yeah. The, the uh it had an entire hive's a lawyerly bullshit part, not the conspiracy to commit murder part. What? <laughs> okay. I think he's I think he's talking to Saladin. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm back. Um no, I thought we had Oh, okay. The stray. The stray. The string. The stray. No, no. It's a joke about the about 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 Saladin. (laughs) Is that this chapter? Saladin's not a stray anymore. Saladin is a dog and was a stray. No, He's owned. Mycroft is the stray. Oh, and uh, Dominic is the forget the term that it's used, but the like purebred. No, Mycroft makes it clear that he's also a purebred, but you know he's also a stray. Yeah, all right. Uh, so we're on the same page with trying people. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me get my notes back. So this is probably bad, yeah. right? But worse is that a really rough riot breaks out immediately. Yes. Um, and everyone panics. Tully does the thing Mycroft would have done if Mycroft was better, 
And which, which does call to mind, uh, what on earth is this conversation? Who is it between? <laughs> uh, like, Tali Marty saved the world. But what happened with Minecraft depicts is a conversation between two people, one of who doesn't want to call and one of them who does. And Minecraft was crying, so he wasn't either part of the conversation. Yeah. Minecraft is very difficult. <laughs> uh, He's been through a lot. So the, the riot breaks out, right? Uh, everyone panics. Tully says, oh, this is, this is a bad one. This is, this is not going to be good mm -hmm. at all. Uh, and then four he goes, out of we should five, put four this Four or five off. out of five for uh, casualty estimates for the war in the first six months. Yeah. Uh, and then they say, all right, we should do something about this. Um, wait until we have some more stuff ready to go. I think, I think the other half of this conversation must be Sniper? Mycroft. Sniper. Oh, okay. Sniper is the person who's in Sniper the room. Sniper doesn't think these things. Who's like not blubbering. I know, I think. So like how this conversation goes mm -hmm. is you don't need this one. You should put it off. We can't put it off. Blah, blah, blah. We know Tully was the one actually saying the lines that Mycroft associates to himself mm -hmm. at first. I, I think it must be Mycroft who's saying, no, let it happen, mm -hmm. right? Because Sniper doesn't make sense. Sniper doesn't know the things Mycroft and Tully I mean, know. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Um, right, we saw Sniper and Tully go off together to do something. Just before we saw probably, Tully on the rostra. Maybe Sniper does know. I think what probably has happened is that immediately after like coming to the realization that this was going to be the bad kind of war that Tully immediately started screaming at Mycroft, or, like, they formulated a plan, like, how can we fix this? And they immediately came to the realization that Mycroft has a tracker he can get us in touch with, like, the world leaders. And they started screaming at Mycroft, like, hey, like, do this thing. And Mycroft is just in his own head, like, thinking about, like, how he's imagining it all playing out and all the things Tully's saying. And he's, like, instead of actually responding to Tully, he, like, Verbally, he's just, like, blubbering, and Tully's telling him all these things, and he's, like, thinking about it as if he's the one saying it, and he's responding to, to Tully. Uh, so it's kind of, like, a weird scene where, like, they're just yelling at Mycroft, and he's just doing nothing the whole time. And eventually he reacts. Now, why they, why they didn't just grab his tracker and, like, call themselves, I don't know. You probably literally can't. Yeah, maybe so. Just because of, like, tracker security yeah. stuff. Anyway, um... I'll I'll think I'll see if I have another a better thought on that later. So Mycroft makes the call. He's told to call Papadelius. He doesn't. Probably the right move. Uh, of all the people Mycroft could call right now, that's not the one I would. Mm -hmm. I would turn to first. And then they get a deal with Jehovah to calm everyone down, stop the mm -hmm. riot, and they exchange Mycroft for amnesty. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in this conversation that we want to pick at? Uh, or should we move? First, I want to pick at uh, Jed's Yahari Mekum Periculist Continuous to Amir Solotea's Mycroft. Uh, Jed translation time uh, is actually mostly Latin, except for the first sort of Japanese. Um, and the translation there is not so terrible as the one as the, that we were given in Aristotle and Alexander. It's mostly just right. Um, there's a thing to note where Yahari can mean lots of things. Let me. <laughs> I, I just. I couldn't write the, put them on the page. Let me just read them out to you now. Um, as I thought, as expected, still, also, after all, uh, and they translate it here as, of course. 
which is also it seems reasonable in, in, in the set of words that this goes on with. Yeah, I, I can I can wrap my head around that. Yeah, Minkum is of course with me. Birkless is there is danger, as it just directly in in the um, in the English. Of course, they had a helping word. Um, I'm glad you are alive. Minecraft is actually something like uh, your 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 continuation exul- uh, uh, consoles me, which is cool. Uh, but also is that's an explanation of that Eve too. So. Continuation is also the word he used for his own uh, when he re- when he revives yeah. me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm on board for all of those choices. Then though, that seems like a totally reasonable English version of those oh, sentiments. Yeah. yeah, it's it's good. Uh, Dominic isn't coming. Maybe for the be- you know what we get from Jehovah here actually, which is mm-hmm. great, is he says while he's making this deal. Let me see if I can if I can find the line. Uh, they go. Who is this? And he says something to the effect of, I can secure the cooperation and oath of anyone in the world whose oath matters. And then at the end of the conversation, he goes, well, but Dominic, yeah, nothing I can do about (laughs) Dominic. It's interesting that like Jed understands Dominic completely and yet still like considers him to be like allows him to be as close as he is to him. I don't think Dominic is a complex man. <laughs> so that's fair. Uh, so in the description of the of the riots, uh, you get some interesting things. First of all, lots of people died. Like two thousand people died just on that day. Um, and in in rough ways. Isn't that yeah, pretty. Uh, someone was burned in effigy. That's not a way you can kill somebody. That's a thing Mycroft that's not, did. That's not what Mycroft did. Mycroft put someone in a Weka man. Effigy is means burning something in effigy means you build a a, a like a doll of them and then burn that. Oh, you don't think that was implied to be no, a person? It's an effigy. I I really thought the implication there, especially after reminding us of what Minecraft did. Minecraft did a wicker was man. that this was a, a body. A wicker man is not an effigy. Yeah. it's just like a person. Right. So Minecraft burns someone alive. The riot burns someone effigy. dead. Well, you know, effigy is. Yeah, I'm aware of okay. the word. The so free- <laughs> That's why I'm using you're, implication. You're not alone in kind of having the mental image of a burning burning person, but yeah, I mean, I think that's what was implied there. Um, that's, but come on, that's so much let, look at the things that are happening around this. That's substantially less bad than all the rest of them. Eh, so, I, I think the intended read here is that it was at one point a person. Okay, um... What wasn't was a, wasn't uh, the uh, the total number of like OS kills like somewhere in the ballpark of like two thousand? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the revelation of OS, immediately in a couple weeks, the world kills as many people as OS did. Yeah, ever did in total. Well, it's, as it's, I it's wild, as I established earlier on the Discord, when the world did it, it was sad, and it's okay if you're sad. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, okay. Yeah. We also get a reference to Los Angeles in this chapter, yes. so we know that there are more American oh. cities still existing. Yeah, defendants that hit past houses in Los Angeles and in Mexico City. There's also a fun line from, again, Jehovah, but at the time referenced as the addressee, which has some, some convenient implications, that he hasn't been giving enough attention to the question of what Providence is mm-hmm. doing. Uh... 
I'm not sure what he's been paying so much attention to. It's interesting that Jed Mason also believes in Providence, and I have to wonder if, like, Jed Mason's conception of Providence is any, any similar at all to Minecraft's, because they're very different types mm-hmm. of creatures. Uh, I don't think I need to wonder that, because it, it is. Mycroft got his conception of Providence from No, well, Mycroft got his conception of gender from Madame, but it's different, right, from Madame's. Well, just the frame of reference, if we assume that um, Jed Mason is actually what he says he is, then, like, his conception of Providence will just naturally be different than Mycroft's. He's, he, he's a very different type of being than Mycroft. But yet he still believes in Providence. I think Providence is, is literally true, though. In this case? Oh, yeah, 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 in this case. In, in the... For the characters in this universe that we because are Because of the about. author. Because okay. of the author. Uh, what else? Oh, the word uh, Jed says uh, its existence is ontos, like ontology, so that's fun. And then uh, there's this whole section, which, which, which gets to... I'm going to talk lots about... I have a whole rant prepared. But, um, so Jed describes... Uh, Sniper as recta and discatada, uh, which is upright and noble or notable in Latin and Spanish, both feminine. Latin has a neuter, but Jed does not use neuter for, for sniper. Um, so, so Jed, like his mother and Dominic, uh, use the feminine for sniper. Uh, a West mm. then says, you're one of the most impossibly good people, aren't you? Uh, and then address he says, I am thus far Omni benevolence. Just disagree. Yeah. With which part? That Jed is omni benevolent. Who has he not been benevolent to? The world. <laughs> and note he says thus far or something to that effect. Like he's saying, like, I might I might not be this forever. <laughs> he might be this forever. Um but also, uh Jed is full whole hog into war. Jed dis uh act the OS institution is keeping the world from war. Uh, Jed has done a ton of actions, which are just ethically, I'm not going to say dubious, because I don't think they're dubious, I think they're one of the worst things anyone in this story has ever done, just by the the raw numbers. Like, I don't dislike this action more than the most, because I have feelings about other people's actions, but in terms of, like, internal ranks of people killed, Jed is at the top. I think, um, I think I disagree. So... I, but but some of this is because we have different opinions about what was going to happen before he was assassinated, right? Like, I think if he had not been assassinated and revived as a warmonger, Jehovah would have successfully prevented a war with his speech in the... On the Rostra and uh, then in the Senate. The place where people do talk... Thank Rostra you. and Senate. Um, <laughs> Senate. Senate. Senate is the word I okay. couldn't find. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, you could make a a totally reasonable case that revealing OS and then talking everyone into being actually peaceful is fine. That you could, you could call that. I don't think Jed was going to do that. I don't think Jed could have done that. What do you think he was going to do? He was going to try, but Jed couldn't. He, you wouldn't be able to do, have done that. So he seems at least as persuasive as Minecraft. Minecraft couldn't have done it either. I don't think that's, you know, Minecraft could have done Omnibenevolence. <clears throat> I, I don't think Mycroft could have done it. Something that, like, it doesn't mean that, like, you can prevent all terrible things from happening. It just means that of all the possible choices you can make, you always make the choice that potentially reduces the amount of harm. 
and it does seem, at least from Jed's perspective, that he does try to do that. He he calculates Jed. like things, and he says, this is going to be the thing that reduces harm the most. I'm going to do this thing. So I yeah, think in that I, sense, I think he's he, benevolent. I think Jed always acts well according to his moral system. I think Jed thinks critically about his actions according to his moral system before he does things. I think Jed's moral system is bunk. That doesn't make you not benevolent. Is this the chapter where he, someone says he's not uh, infallible? Oh, this is next that chapter. Next one? That's next chapter. So if we just kind of take that as like a... Someone thinks that Jed is not infallible, so maybe Jed is, isn't infallible, so therefore, is it possible that he's just making the wrong calculation? He, if he calculated that I have to um, start a war... Because it's war is inevitable, and it's it's kind of like the same similar to Tully in a, in a sense, and the Marty's is like, you know, I have calculated that the world will have war, and so the only way to reduce the amount of harm in the world is to make it my kind of war, and so. Jed but not is doing not only thing. does Jed, not only does Jed try to start a war. Now is this on board with war? Jed also takes out OS, the thing mm-hmm. that's been preventing war. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, but through unacceptable means. Yeah, but through you fine know, means. Can you define benevolence for me? All good. All good. Uh, always acts uh, uh, with the most uh, morally upright action. I don't okay. think you so, could have a sort of private definition of good and only act according to that. I just reject that. <laughs> well, but, but, like, hear me out here. Your version of benevolence requires that you always be, like, a perfect act utilitarian? Uh... I just don't think that's what anyone thinks benevolence But not means. only is Jed not a perfect utilitarian, Jed isn't even, like, a decent or, like, a poor utilitarian. Jed, once again, does the worst thing. But I, I can't believe you've, you've put me in a position to say this in this, in this show. His intentions <laughs> were good. So? <laughs> That's what people usually mean by benevolent. <laughs> His intention was some sort of, like, moral purity thing, or, like, uh, about the sacredness of all life. Well, Jed, all life isn't, right. A, isn't sacred, and B, you're gonna have to make hard choices, and your hard choices lead to more people dying. And we learned that the only reason his, like, calculations were no deaths ever was because he thought everyone was potentially a god. And as soon as he realized that that wasn't true, he's like, you know what, change my calculations. People can die now. Yeah. It's fine. N- not only is he, was he not previously even, like, a decent accusatorian, now he just fucking doesn't care about people. <laughs> Benevolent. Okay. That's a little bit further than I think the text has given us cause to presume. No, it really uh, is. Let me let me dig up the 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 line. We the alphabet. Is it gonna be? Mm-hmm. Is it gonna be more persuasive than his constant utilitarianism in this conversation? He's not utilitarian in this conversation. Why else would you offer me so much to decrease evil? Separation and confusion cause pain, a form of evil and prevent the joy and creativity which are the feuds of human contact. I do not wish your pain nor to decrease the sum of human happiness and achievement. Yeah, no, I think what's happening is that, like, initially when Jed thought everyone was potentially a god, like, utilitarian just broke, because, like, he couldn't imagine allowing anyone to die, even if the death of, like, say, one person was uh, going to save, you know, a million or something. But, like, now that he no longer thinks that, it's... It seems Sorry, like he's fine with people dying, uh, especially killing Sniper, because I guess in his calculation, Sniper is 
uh, a problem in, into his maybe larger goals, whatever they are. Well, like, not fine. He doesn't seem like he's all on the murder train, Mycroft style. But uh, here's the line. He has certainly... Uh, on 15, we, and read the alphabet. We humans are the letters of a... Sorry, nope. Back. There are two gods, reader, at least. He who conceived this universe and he who visits from another. Just as infinite and just as real. We humans, the letters of a message our creator wrote to make first contact with his divine peer. Now the letter has been received, it may be crumpled and discarded, or set aside as a keepsake in a coffin stale drawer. We the alphabet may hmm. pray only that their new friendship will continue to rely on words. If so, we will survive. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Who says that? Mycroft. Oh, Mycroft says that. Mycroft. In, uh, yeah, cool. And who are you claiming this is the philosophy Fucking of? Jed. Because Mycroft thinks Jed is his god. He's describing his relationship between Jed and God. Yes. Yes. Do you think Jodcroft is lying? think he's wrong? Why I do you think, think he's wrong? <laughs> I do not think Mycroft having existential angst is cause for me to ignore all of these things that Jehovah says about his moral philosophy when Jehovah says things about his moral philosophy. But war decreases some of human happiness. What's clear here, to me, well, is that... But the, the thesis statement of these books is that that isn't necessarily it's true. It's true as far as Jed is concerned. Because Jed doesn't... Is it? Jed hasn't... The thing that convinced Jed wasn't the argument of the Mahdi's. Jed didn't know about the argument of the Mahdi's. Jed just woke up, thought, realized he continued, and said, we're going to have to go to war now. <laughs> right. Maybe. Uh, I think what's, what's happening... he figured out the same amazing insight that the Martys had. Why? And Sniper had out of Sniper nowhere. Sniper didn't have it out of nowhere. Sniper because went he's and a talks- genius child who also studied history. He was raised by who? Madame? The Utopians? You don't think that the, the most brilliant child of Madame who was raised under her guidance to become an emperor of the world, has ever been exposed to the idea that war can be valuable? What, what, are, you, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but the kind... But, like, it depends on why Jed thinks war is valuable. If Jed is like, well, actually, we need war to increase the sum of human glory. Fuck Jed. But if it's... <laughs> uh, well... But if... if, if, well, if the, that's such a weird thing to attribute to him <laughs> at this point in the story. I, I don't think... Like, are you? I don't think that's what Jed thinks. I think Jed thinks war is the next necessary for the next conversation he needs to have with humanity's peer, not humanity's peer, but his peer. And so, in in with the limit, with the with the constraint that he's going to have to have a war, he's optimizing the rest of it to be sort of nice to his the universe is he's in. Uh, but he's going to have a war because he thinks his conversation is is important. Yeah, I think it's arguable that the will to battle began at the moment that Jed was shot, because, you know, we get a long bit of, like, reasoning from Minecraft as to why he was originally wrong about there being, you know, a potential for war uh, on the horizon, and that the Martys were also wrong, because they didn't understand this, like, thing that was going on at Madame's, which all connects to Jed Mason. And it may be true that until Jed Mason died and realized that, like, death is fine, because people aren't gods... Jed was going to prevent war. Like, he just would not have been okay with it, and no one could have used him for the purposes of starting a war. But now that Jed has died, mm-hmm. and he has now seen that humans are not gods, um, then he's fine well, with war. Well, no, that's not what he saw. 
Hey, that's not what he saw. What he saw is that even when humans die, their universes persist. Ah, yeah, yes. So they could be gods, but it do- it won't matter. That's their a death won't matter. Really important distinction. But that's a that's a key distinction. And he has then gone on to constantly worry about avoiding pain uh, and avoiding suffering, and that. Like, sure, maybe now and then he'll say something that applies sometimes suffering can be worthwhile, but that's like that's not anti-utilitarian. That's just an unfortunate reality. I think he concentrates more on, I think, the with the alphabet chapter and the fact that he immediately turned to war uh, until that he he's now wants to have this conversation and other things go by the wayside. Uh, why? What do you mean why? <laughs> that's a crazy leap to make. Mycroft has been saying stuff like that this whole time. Yeah. I believe Mycroft's. I don't know why you're... Okay. Fine. (laughs) We're getting close to me having read everything (laughs) you've read, though. (laughs) I gotta tell you, every week, your ideas seem weirder. (laughs) We'll see. Okay, uh, but that's one person I want to yell at. The person I want to yell at is um, fucking Martin. Jed is on the top of the what? Jed is on the top of the list for um, people who have done the most harm. But uh, people list of who who I despise. Uh, it's Dominic, then Martin, and then I don't know other people. I guess. Um, really, I cannot believe Martin is excellent. What's your problem with Martin? <laughs> on one fifty three. Once my house decided, yeah. I asked if he knew what it was going to be like. Jevo's new world, which Martin has spent his whole life protecting since that childhood day, Caesar made him vicar nepos familiaris and minister pervergenito. All at once, Martin smiled. I have realized since a man's uncomfortable saying no. Mm-hmm. Revolting. This man has given up his moral independence and reasoning all to the fucking some guy, not even God, just like some actual person. Yeah, who's who you know, sucks done a pretty who's good a job. bad person and who isn't God. <laughs> I, I, and right. claims even he's God. Say, which let's presume that alone okay. let's should disqualify you for Jehovah being the, the the person who you give all your moral trust to. He's not God, okay? Um, sure. It is a little strange that, like, the person that... Almost um, everyone I know does less moral reasoning than Jehovah. Sure. Probably literally everyone I know. Um, but, and the, Martin has been assigned to this person. He's picked his horse. And, in fact, we get more from him next chapter that, like, he, he looked at the outcomes... And said, wow, this toddler is right about things way more often than I am, even if they aren't literally infallible. I'm going to, as a heuristic, just do whatever they think is best. Totally on board for well, it. I think what he says is that he's going to consult Jed on everything because he he just it, he makes better decisions when Jed is involved with the decision making process. It doesn't necessarily mean that he always agrees with Jed, though he probably does. Uh, but Jed, Martin like, calls Jed morally what he perfect. Says is he and does the actions, the best actions a human person can be in every situation, which is, by the way, wrong. Uh, it's not correct. Uh, 
Um, but moreover, <laughs> it's an abdication oh, of, of Martin's core responsibility as a human person to morally reason and have moral independence from other human beings. And He did moral reasoning and realized someone else was doing a better job than him. Jehovah may have been incorrect about exposing OS, but your, your claim that they like didn't think it through or didn't base it on anything uh, seems weird to me. It's like you haven't read these Jehovah books. Jehovah has reasons. I'm not saying Jehovah doesn't have reasons. I'm saying uh, Martin has abdicated his responsibility to, to, to moral independence. Yeah, as being uh, and like moreover, as being mm-hmm. the culmination of a like a life of debate, it does seem kind of like sad that he's just now like de facto do does whatever Jed says. Like it's one thing, yeah, yeah. So but but it's because Jed kept winning. At some point, the correct move is to accept that some other person is better at this than yeah. You. But like what we what we hear from Martin is that he kept doing things, hearing things from Jehovah, and eventually he realized. Even when I disagree with Jehovah, he turns out to have been right. I, just, I thought of an interesting analogy. So, like, let's say, you know, you're a chess player, and then you discover that there are chess engines that can basically win the game for you. What you're saying is you just always just use the chess engine at that point. Um, if you're trying to be, to win chess matches? Like, I don't, I don't, t- I think yes, but I don't want to 100% buy in on this analogy where moral reasoning is like playing a game of chess. Where, like, much of the benefit of moral reasoning is in the fun of figuring it out. Like, if you are... Ah, well, kind of. Yeah, well, sure. someone dedicated of. to a life of debate, you would think that, that, that it is fun for him to, to figure it out. But now he's just doing whatever yeah, Judd and wants. Yeah, and I fully... Well, and I believe that Martin probably still does debates. But when it comes to, okay, I've done my intellectual exercise... Here is a difficult moral decision. Asking the person who is just better than you at it, and is, in your opinion, as morally perfect as any person could be, like, that is probably the right move if you want to do the right Again, thing. Again, not more perfect as perfect can be. Literally morally perfect. Uh, does the literally the optimal action, according to Martin. And, and maybe what he does is that he makes his own choices, and then he, like, checks the, like chess computer to see if it was the right choice like you know what i mean a lot of players like after they've played their chess match they go back and they look at like what the computer would have done and they like sort of like tweak their own strategies and their you know their gameplay going forward and it may be just that like martin has pretty much done that sure. everything he does from going forward he always checks in with jed to make sure he's doing the right thing and like if, and if jed you were playing was... a chess match where you die if you lose, or like someone you care about dies if you lose. If just use the chess. If engine. Jed was like, it's not Jed. If Martin was like introduced even a little bit of gray into this, I would not despise Jed uh, Martin's moral position nearly so much. But he doesn't, right? <laughs> he doesn't introduce any gray. He says Jed is morally perfect. Um, he declares that he does the literally most optimal action. Uh, and is confident in creating some world uh, uh, that Jed wants to create without even having any idea of what this will entail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it is a little frightening to me that he's so... Yet he doesn't believe he's infallible, but he's so willing to dedicate his entire future to this one person. Oh, yeah. and that's what it, he's been... Like, his job has been that for his whole life, so it, it, does, it mm-hmm. doesn't seem that weird to me that he that he feels this way. I think... I don't think it's necessarily weird, uh, but I don't like it. <laughs> 
fucking hate oh, it. Okay. Yeah. Yes, your, like it's your, not your in terms of like the, uh, Masons has been very, made very clear, and I, I have to say I share them with you, but uh, I don't think everyone on, on this podcast shares them with you. That's true. I think Martin comes across very well in these chapters. Like, would it be? Do I think it would be healthy for Martin to have his own internal moral system? Uh, probably. But do I think he probably does? Uh, yes. We um, talked about Jed's, uh, Martin's moral I just system, think he, and we found out in, in, in our first ethics poll, and we find out here that it's literally textual. It's confirmed by the text. Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, is it contradictory in your mind that, like, the, the Masons who are, you know, we, we are introduced as being this, like, spirited debate people and, like, meant to be, like, their own person, but yet they also submit... A lot of, you know, at least the familiarists all submit to Caesar in a, in a kind of, like, absolute way. Like, is that, is that a, con- there's a contradiction there or no? Um, I th- maybe the difference here is that I think at some point someone can win a debate. Someone can't win all debates forever. Like, well, the debate of morality, what is the right thing to do, Jehovah won it and then kept winning it. And what happened here is at a certain point Martin went, okay... You're the best at this. Uh, go on then. I'll I'll do the thing you think, which just isn't is is not that upsetting to me. I don't think that's a thing that can happen with the debates. That's you know something about morality. How do you think he came to understand that Jehovah was so morally excellent? I, mean, I don't know. Let's look at the text. I think he says he watched them or something. I also can't find the right chunk of the text. I remember the the stuff you're talking about, but I can't find really? it in the chapter. So we're now, like, skipped half of the point thinking of repercussions. That is deep into repercussions. Um, yeah. The, the things that happen in this chapter, by the way, seem pretty bad. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about them, too. Bad news. Also, did you? it doesn't... It seems like... Uh, Maybe Martin is not going to be the next emperor. Did you like who do you think is? this chapter? Yeah, he was fine. He didn't have the, the kind of golden moments that he has throughout much of the rest of this book, but you can't do that all I, the time. I thought he came off a little pouty. Like he was like, you know, a little incredulous at everything that was going on. And it was just, just seemed like sort of the kid just like angry that like nothing's going their way. I think a little bit. But like well, nothing is going his the, way in the a couple things of that are happening. pretty broad ways. <laughs> He's like lost his yeah, uh, the, partner. Yeah, the stuff is of like twenty years is not good, and now is like uh, maybe losing his kid to this the partner. He's like lots of reasons why like he's not ha- happy, and like pretty justified reasons, justifiable reasons. Oh, I th- here I found it. Um, he always wants what is best. You raised him that way. Uh, blah blah. You know that's not true. Uh, perhaps, but Dominus is morally perfect, if not absolutely perfect. What they order does not always lead to success, but is always the best of all possible human actions. If Dominus says we should kill Sniper, we should kill Sniper. If they said we should not, there are reasons we should not. So, this is... This is clearly at least somewhat evidence-based. And they go on to say... Uh, she, I'm just going to end up reading this paragraph. <laughs> she laughed. Jehovah isn't actually infallible, Martin, as appropriate as your devotion is. No, madame, nor are they omniscient. But I still believe no one in the history of the human race has ever erred less. It is not hubris when I say that I am myself reasonably wise. Yet observation has proved to me 
that I am wrong much more often than Dominus. I know, therefore, that I choose the right thing more often when guided by Domine than when I choose on my own. To ignore or avoid their counsel, as you have done, is both irrational and immoral. Um, so, like, clearly what happened here is he noticed that Jehovah is, is just always right. And he's probably the best person to really kind of weigh in on, like, where Jehovah is in terms of his abilities, because he's constantly been watching him for his whole life. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you find if that's someone true, I guess who is always right, it, it could be possible that, that 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 it is literally true that 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 Jed is um, morally right more often than Martin, which says, by the way, absolutely fucking terrible things about Martin's internal sense of morality, right? Because again, <laughs> Jed is the worst, one of the worst people in these books. Um. <laughs> okay, but fine. You said the the problem is there's no gray. He admits right here they're not infallible. They're not omniscient, but they're, like, right up there. I don't think anyone's ever been as good at this as this the, person The is. no gray... If you find a the, person... The no gray is the thing. Just after this, where, where Madame's like, we can't take that black and whitely, and Martin doesn't actually say he has gray since he actually just says, no, I do think that, bla- that much in black and white. Well, yeah, if you find a person who is the most correct person, believe them. Yeah, so, but not only is Jed not the most the most correct person it's not even that like like he's convinced by them right that would be one thing if if jed had like (laughs) presented some worldview and convinced martin presented some some end goal and convinced martin that'd be one thing that's not what's happening uh what's happening is that martin has observation has abdicated his moral reasoning to this other guy just some guy observation proved it. I think even in the case where someone else can reason than you, uh, it is often the case that adding just other people can make the, the resulting system of moral discernment better and advocate this to just one person. He had other people. Yeah. And he came to the conclusion that that made it worse because this one guy was right all the time. Hey. He's not all right all the time. I know you don't think, you clearly don't agree that Jehovah has been making ethically defensible choices. (laughs) We've been over that element. (laughs) Martin does not, right? Yeah, but I think even in the case where, like, uh, someone else is 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 a more faulty signal than Jehovah, adding that signal in can make the resulting, uh, signal better. I want to, like, stop pulling out the jury theorem or something, but, uh... Fine. I think technically you're correct about how information works, uh, but we should all be nicer to Martin. Martin is great. Yeah, I think I'm gonna get some some pushback from the audience on this position of mine. Yeah, no, when you when you started this off, I was like, I didn't know where you were going with it, because Martin, I think, is probably one of the more beloved characters. He's, he does very little things that, like, people find upsetting, and it just seems like he's a, you know, the, the maybe the most, like, good character, quote-unquote, in the, in, in the book. So, I think, um, in a practical sense, the, the, the worst, this is the worst thing about Martin, but it's so bad. That uh, he, he top makes it tops my list. I don't know. I just think maybe that's something true of a lot of uh, Masons that they are willing to be totally 
um, subservient to a master of some sort, which is, you know, you, you see in the, uh, the Senate that the, uh, we find out that they all, like, in unison do things in, in response to the emperor walking in or whatever. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't find it that surprising. I think, okay, it's fine, I guess. Um, I guess the totality of it, it's one thing to think your best rule about like, a dictator. It's another thing to, to just give over your internal moral reasoning to some person, other person. Well, hang on. Those are two totally different things. I agree. Things. That's the point of my sentence. Well, but but you, I think by putting them together, you're suggesting that they're, like, related. I don't think that this is telling us that Martin has, like, an internal tendency towards obedience. I yeah. Uh, I think we're we're given like a narrative of how Martin came to the conclusion that he came to, and you know, I can't. I I'm a big fan of arguing about things, um, but if you want to be correct and you find someone who is always right, like we uh, believe them about stuff. Yeah. So what I think what I'm trying to say is that uh, you combine this sort of like innate Masonic way of thinking about the world with like a person who knows everything then you're going to get a martin but like if you have a contrarian type person like even if they spend all their time around jed mason they might still have that natural tendency to want to disagree with him or like you, like if you put someone like dominic up against jed like even though dominic has spent quite a lot of time around jed he's still constantly trying to undermine him or do things that like might prove him to be wrong or whatever. So it's not clear to me that like everybody would would come to that conclusion and that it may have something to do with the with being raised as a Mason that caused him to be more willing to submit to Jed completely. Yeah, and Dominic wants to like make Jed suffer and cry, which is understandable, I guess, if he's God, but still sort of wild. Hmm. Okay, so the other stuff we need to talk about. Oh yeah, we have lots of things to talk about. <laughs> Because it, like, we, oh, the other, we're going to get a new philosopher soon. This was from last chapter. I just want to make sure I get it. We're going to get a new philosopher soon who is stranger than Hobbes. Ooh, who do you think um, it's going to be? My, I don't think it's Desaad. If it was going to be Desaad, we'd have had him already, mm. right? We've had already established that there's like this progression from Hobbes mm -hmm. to Locke. But the idea that Locke would be stranger than Hobbes feels silly to me. Okay. Um, well, because because of how we've been set up in this... Actually, maybe that isn't true. I think Hobbes reads as more foreign to a modern audience, but to Terra Ignata people, that might not. That might just not be. Um, and you may have an easier time talking them through Hobbes, who kind of starts all the way from the ground up. Maybe it is Locke. I was going to say Diderot, but uh, maybe it's Locke. I actually don't know how Locke and Hobbes are viewed with people who aren't American. Because uh, Locke uh, is sort of like, because of the political narratives around the, the destruction of, of the US, it sort of gets a, a primary seat in other places he just doesn't show up. Because why would he show up? As opposed to people like Montesquieu or, or, or Rousseau. Hmm. What, I hope it's not Rousseau. What did you think about this, like, back and forth between the reader and the young reader? I thought it was fine. 
nice move having us pick up Leviathan before we moved on to the next book. Yeah. Did, this to me felt like the most forceful part of the book where it's like, yes, go out and read some other text to understand my text. Like we have this sort of reference to like the Iliad being in Minecraft's pocket. And it's pretty clear that the Iliad is very important to, to understanding this text. And now we have uh, Hobbes in Minecraft's pocket and Hobbes talking to us. And I, I think uh, Dr. Palmer is saying, you know, go read <laughs> Leviathan. And, uh, you know, if you want to understand what I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing here. That's why I had us. Read it Leviathan. does seem. Yeah. Good move. Um, well, hang on. Back up. You said us. I have read Leviathan. Are you before. done? I'm going to have it. Yet, Leviathan in but, the so, but you've read it. We're ready to talk about it. Read it again for to talk about it. Okay. Never mind. I thought we could book that in. Um, I, I think this is probably the place to put it because I understand. As I understand, there was a bigger gap between this book and the fourth mm-hmm. book, right? So books one and two, you wouldn't want to tell the audience to stop reading them. But book three, as a from a structural perspective. To have a piece in there saying, hey, wouldn't it have been smart of you to figure out what I was talking about <laughs> earlier? Now's your chance. Probably a good mm-hmm. move. Um, so the, the broad strokes of this chapter, uh, Caesar yells at Madame for stabbing Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Um, Spain is there. Spain is going to marry Madame. Maycroft. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole little team, but they don't. Wait, did you say Carlisle? You, you said, said Carlisle. Carlisle. I said yeah, Carlisle? I was correcting you to say Maycroft. Oh, that's a lie. Carlisle was yeah. not there. I'd have had notes about Carlisle <laughs> if Carlisle was there. I'm sorry. Uh, Spain, Madame, Martin, Mycroft, and mm-hmm. Mason are having a fight in a fancy Yeah, castle. let's talk about that for a second. So there's a lion before war drove God, against, God out of politics. Ruling Abbott Heroes and the most powerful woman in all of Europe. That compresses fully everything before the church war down to some mythical past. She's not powerful now, uh, unless I just fundamentally don't understand, mistaken in my understanding of Spanish politics, which I guess might be true, but not to like that degree. Um, not powerful now, and war hasn't driven God out of politics. Uh, so that, that's just an interesting note. Uh, Minecraft is imagining some consistent mythical past and something we often do uh but now it's including us in this mythical past and then Ma- so they're mad about we learn in this chapter yeah, that Sorry. um madame's brothel has burned to the ground oh yeah and speaking of speaking yeah. of madame uh madame when responding to the yelling says i had every right uh, because nature makes rights which is very enlightenment yeah I but that. then says it is a mother's natural duty to protect her child at any cost Departure from Desad, who thinks uh, mothers have natural duty, natural right to do whatever they want with their children, uh, including murder. So presumably she doesn't even believe what she's saying. This is just like pure theater on her part. Well, no, I think she does, but she's she's different from Desad in, thank God, in important ways. I don't know. I don't take anything Madame says at face value, Honestly, so I assume that she's just like using this as like a rhetorical device. Like, it's my child, I can do what I want type of thing. That's fair. Someone, you know, I think yeah. she would be more than willing to kill her children if it would benefit her in some way. So they argue about how they should have been more careful with mm-hmm. Mycroft. Uh, Mason is upset. Uh, Madame Mycroft is upset. Tries to pull a you care more about Apollo than you do about, which is referred to as a dead utopian who never shared your feelings. Yep, 
that goes over badly. Uh, <laughs> Mason hits his head. Saladin and Mycroft lick and is caught by lick Saladin. each other's wombs in a very sexual mm-hmm. manner. Yeah, they keep doing that. Um, <laughs> then they get some treatment. Look, so the stuff that matters in this chapter, because we're... Boy, are we up against it time-wise. I... Like dinner at some point. A good, is, a good portion of the back uh, end of this chapter is just like the Martin the Manichaean stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I yelled about already. Yeah. Yeah. So we can skip most of that. Uh, Madame is marrying Spain. Mm-hmm. They're going to the Vatican reservation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some thoughts about that that we'll we'll get into next oh, okay. week. Uh, yeah. So uh mason is upset about this the implication is that this is because uh jehovah might have been the successor and he does not want the emperor to be the emperor of two things which you know seems more likely now that we that we know what martin's all about uh because uh, well, i think it's like two separate things so first like um uh cornell and um and Madame and uh, Spain actually had like a polyamorous thing going on for the past like twenty years, and now it's being broken up. Specifically, kicking out Cornell. Well, but they broke they broke that off uh, the start of this book. I, I think. Yeah this this had already happened. We got the line about how Cornell and uh, how the the two of Cornell and Madame had had parted ways for good. I thought the implication there was. Pretty well, I think clear. it's still sort of like I guess you're moving on without me. He's he's sad about that. Uh, but then also, uh, uh, Spain is going to try to make Jed his heir. Yeah, yeah, he seemed more pissed off about and those are that both aspect. The, the the getting married thing was one thing, but then when he learned about naturalizing um, Jed as their official kid to be the the heir, that was what tipped him to like being very angry. And was mm-hmm. that when he charges Madame? I agree. No, that's before. That's when. Uh... No, she charges because of the Apollo mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I, but I think the problem is the heir, because if Jehovah was going to be the next emperor of the Masons, he couldn't also have an allegiance to the new European empire uh, shortly. I think more, like, Mason you know, more importantly says, like, the being the Spanish heir requires taking an oath of loyalty to the Spanish people. Um, I thought Mycroft was the one who was upset about that. No, uh, Jed, uh, uh, Ma- he says specifically, um, one second. Oh yeah, Mason says, "I will not let you make Jehovah make the crown princes a loath of oil, loath of loyalty to you and the Spanish people." Which is, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember if it's actually. This is it at the at the shill for for. Okay, so there's an excellent website called the Radiant Space, which has a whole set of analyses on this oath, the oath of uh, the oath of the Tribune that's mentioned here, uh, Achilles' oath, um, and. The current oath of loyalty from the Spanish president, uh, also called prime minister, uh, literally the 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 people use both words, uh, the Spanish king, and the oath of, of the Mexican president, uh, which is which is excellent. Um, don't go there, Leo. Okay, see so you told me that time, so I'll not. Yeah. Um. Trying. Um. Let's see here. Yeah, it's currently safe. It may at some point ended up being updated to, to include things for the fourth book, but currently it's not. Um, and it's safe if you've read the third, the entirety of the third book. 
Okay, my read of why the oath was a problem, Mycroft, I think, is upset because uh, he cares about Jehovah. My interpretation is that Mason was upset because it would render him ineligible for the emperor seat for what I think are fairly obvious reasons. Ineligible. He's like the emperor. He can do whatever he wants. But yeah, he probably shouldn't. Well, well, like you can't, you can't be the emperor if you have all these obligations to another organization and well, people. That's uh, the last Just merge the two into one empire. Like that could be a thing, right? Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that because that appears to be what someone is pushing for successfully. Yeah. This right here is why I'm on board. That maybe Madame is an issue. <laughs> I'm yeah. curious, do you... Because just Jehovah... Now that you've seen this chapter, do you think that the coup, um, you know, thing is more legitimate? Like, is now that we know that the King of Spain is being pushed to become the Emperor of Europe? Um, I think the King of Spain should be saying no. Yeah. Just, and not even for... Not even because I've, I'm too opposed to the idea of emperors, because that ship has sailed. <laughs> but because, like, he stepped in to stop everything falling apart during a crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, give it, give it five yeah. years, right? Wait until people have settled down, and then if they still really want to be part of a dictatorship, maybe we can talk about it. Then. Yeah, right. Because it's, it's um, not just an emperor in the sense that I don't know Japan has to this day an emperor. Uh, it's... It's modeled after yeah, the Masons. right. Which raises the question, why not just go be a Mason, guys? Yeah. You're allowed. Well, this is interesting to me. Finally, after more than several hundred years, the threat of a European, a European uh, dicta dictatorial bureaucracy finally comes to fruition. <laughs> so, the thing that happens when we get near the end of this is... Uh, Madame is now European, and she is totally gonna do treason. Uh, and Spain is gonna do nothing no, about Spain, it. Spain says he's going to prosecute her. I don't believe him. Um, I just, I do not. She's gonna do a treason, and he's gonna say, ah, stop that. And then she's gonna go, well, you're the emperor now, I'm allowed. And he's gonna say, that's true. And then, conversation over. Yeah. So, so one interesting thing that popped into my mind here was that you know we get a little bit about like Mason, I'm not Mason, um, Isabel and Madame's sex play. Like they play as like I think is it vice and virtue or something virtue, like that. Yes. Is it possible that, that mm -hmm. Madame did that intentionally to make him the kind of man that would be forced to marry her if she had his child? Ooh. And of course it is. <laughs> not only is. It <laughs> I can't even believe you're asking the question. It seems so obviously true. <laughs> but, okay, so Cornell kind of doesn't, doesn't buy that Madame literally made him that way. But, like, mm -hmm. do you buy it? Do you think that, like, that Isabel is not so good of a guy that he, that he supposedly is and that he maybe has other, you know, more sinister aspects of his personality sort of hidden? What, what um, Mason says is that you already had the virtue within you, and she just brought it out. And I think that's probably true, but there isn't a, a shred of doubt in my mind that it was as part of a long-term manipulation to ensure he was someone 
who would make their child next in line in the circumstance that for maybe unrelated reasons, who knows, all his other family were killed. So convenient for Madame for that to have happened. Yeah, it's crazy how things work out sometimes. She says that she had absolutely nothing to do with those machinations, but it, I, I don't know. I personally find it very hard to believe that... A bald-faced lie. We... <laughs> she explained what she had to do with them one book well, ago. The one book ago thing was like she set up a situation where people like Cray would exist or would, would come to fruition in. But he didn't like plan that Cray was going that- to essentially set up Europe to be... set up Europe to be a... um the taking of Spain and also uh, set up Jed to be the next in line. Ah. Things just seem to have worked out mm. way too conveniently for her for it to have all just sort of been a happenstance. Like, oh, I just put the pieces I... in place and this just turned out this way. Yeah. I think she did set up a situation where a person like Cray would exist. Um, but then she also made sure the situation was such that the only chance Cray had of being happy ever again was to somehow put himself in a position of power. And there's only really one hive where you can do that while everyone hates you. <laughs> of uh, Europe. <laughs> so, like, if you follow the logic of this back, it starts to become clear <laughs> that this was all a scheme. <laughs> like, Casimir Perry was not going to become a high-ranking Mitsubishi. He wasn't smart enough to be the head of the utopians, if such a thing even exists. Like, there was one option for him. Zoom. And he did it, because she made him a good manipulator, but... You could... No. No. Yeah, that was really only... There's only one thing that's, like, reasonable... That could reasonably happen, because only one thing where, like, you get something similar enough to current electoral politics, or, like, um, that, that can happen. Like, the British regularly yeah. have prime ministers that they hate. Uh... Because uh, they end up commanding majority through various alliances and stuff. She even ensured that Spain would step out of the running after she planted evidence of vote tampering to get him the final seat that he needed to do her big. You think plot. that's Madame? Like the oh, do you oh, not? I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Madame all the way down. <laughs> Everything that happens is just. She has her hand in it. But what what bothers me is I I have a hard time understanding how Madame could have directly controlled Crane. Because Crane's at least ostensibly says he was doing all this with the intention of bringing Madame down. Which, I don't know. Did he just miscalculate? Because it seems like everything Crane did actually benefited Madame. But yet he says, I'm doing this because I'm trying to destroy you. So is that like just... Crane screwing up, or is it possible that like there is something more going on there that we just don't quite understand yet? Okay, so I I think it actually I don't struggle with it because what needed to happen at the end is she needed the king of Spain to step in, become a proper king again, and have no living family, mm-hmm. right? So she made a person who thought the system was so broken it could only be fixed by bombing Mm -hmm. it, and put them in a position of power, and then probably had to do some cleanup at the end, right? But, like, how brilliant... Spain probably had an aunt or something. How brilliant is it that she created a person who hated her and did everything with the belief that they were hurting her, but it was actually benefiting her? Like, that's so many levels of manipulation, it's insane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's the exact 
It's the exact kind of novel she's trying to live yeah, out. That's true. It is exactly in her <laughs> kind of novel she's trying to live out. So that's ex- that's a hundred percent. I think that's what Madame's been doing, and now she's about to become Queen of Spain after she goes to the Vatican, uh, and then Empress, and then Empress. She's got both. Yeah. That's why she could drop Mason. Yeah. Mason was the backup plan. <laughs> Probably. Gonna be honest. Yeah. Let me check my notes to make sure we got through everything. Uh, this has been a long Three one. Hours. What have I got here? Uh, okay. At one point, Mason mm-hmm. kicks Saladin to make Mycroft shut up. Oh, I have a couple things, actually. Um, sorry, guest, and then I'll let you get back. I'll, I'm going to go through these kind of speed round style. Uh, Caesar kicks Saladin. Mycroft suggests replacing all of Jehovah's blood marrow to make him no longer of royal blood. Pretty decent plan, actually. I bet that one... I think that one would work. I don't know why he didn't pursue that any farther. And last, we get this whole thing about middle voice Martin, Mm -hmm. which I think all comes together very Mm -hmm. well. I really liked that. They set it up at the start, came around at the end. Good job on on that little construction. I enjoyed it. Okay. That's all my notes for the chapter. Continue. Oh, I was just going to ask, do you have a theory, working theory for why um, the Major, or Achilles, did not visit Ancelé and uh, the Mitsubishi, someone in the Mitsubishi bash? Um, wasn't Ancelé because they were being the distraction as they went around and visited everyone else? Okay. So... Like, I, I think we figured out that one was essentially a, a textual answer. And then Dominic, um, you know... Guess because he's mad at him? I don't, I don't know. Uh, my, my original take on that was that it was just because there was there was no one in power who made sense to talk to with the Mitsubishis. Um, but I've been told by sources whom I am forced to believe that Achilles is a very vengeful person. Who? Um, Mother? Yeah. They go on about it a lot. Yeah. Um... The first line of the the Iliad is, is the rage of Achilles. The first line, of the worst word of the Iliad in Greek is rage. So you know, yeah. So maybe the degree to which his motives were political, yeah, uh, eh, you know, maybe not so much. Maybe not as much as it could have been. Um, have you got a a thing you want to go out on? Well, no, I was just going to draw attention to the fact that in Seven Surrenders we have the Mitsubishi Bosch who are essentially not surrendering and it's arguable that Ancelé by immediately joining the humanists is is kind of a, a reversal or an attempt to not surrender um because otherwise Jed would have probably had his way with the humanists um as well do you mean the Mitsubishi I, I, you get a scene with um the secondary um I think the proxy of the anonymous tr- calling for the hives to, like the humanist hive to be um, abolished. Yeah. And then Ansele immediately, you know, declares his, like, uh, you know, his identity, and then he says, I want to be the president, I think I can be a good president, and we find out later that he becomes the president. And we've since learned that he is willing to continue OS, and he is very strongly in favor of maintaining the Hive system. So, with all that in mind, it could be argued that the humanist baths also did not technically surrender in the seven surrenders chapter, similar to the um, the Mitsubishi, and so there's a parallel there. Like, just wanted to point that Interesting. out. Interesting. Hmm, that's really cool. 
Fair enough. But no, I think probably the true answer is that Dominic was um, going after Bridger, and Achilles didn't like that. <laughs> um, so then, do you want to go out on anything, uh, Nicholas? I could talk about Here's... Arabic nouns. Is this all? Arabic nouns. All right, okay. go for it. Um, so the, the, the reason why I, I know this is because um, the word for republic in Swahili is like jamhuri. And they get it from uh, Jamhuriya, which is in Arabic. And it turns out the way you get that is there's an is a, is a add-on you can have in Arabic, which just like is the abstract concept of, and the way you get republic is the abstract concept of people. <laughs> and do the same thing with like socialism. The way they express socialism is like the abstract concept of laborer. And uh, I think all community, I don't remember which, but the... the 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 idea that this is like some some addition some some tag to it.